grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are... I'm Davey, and honestly, I'm only here because I owe Paul one and a half favors. Uh, I'm Aaron, and uh, honestly, I'm only lamenting the fact that I don't have more eight lamentations to read. I'm Paul, and I'm all gung-ho for this episode. And I'm Eric, ready to meet my maker. In this episode, we're cracking open Eight Lamentations, Spear of Shadows by Josh Reynolds. We'll be trying out uh, a little bit new, uh, a newer format of book review. Uh, we'll cover broad plot, plots, key figures, and what the story could mean for the future of the mortal realms. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like this episode and subscribe to the channel so you know when more of these are coming out. Uh, and if you're listening on your favorite podcast app, please leave us a review to help us share more stories with the AOS community. How are you doing tonight, gentlemen? Doing well. Okay, okay. Not too shabby. Great. I'm really glad that we could all get together tonight <laughs> and talk about this book. And you guys are on such good, fine moods. Oh, yeah. I'm top of the world right now. You know, I have to say, Aaron, though, like, usually you start out really low and everybody goes higher. And I started out, like, kind of middling. And you went below my middling, even. Yeah, I had to stake my claim. That's where I belong. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, so tonight we're going to get straight into the story phase in just one minute. Um, we're not going to be going, like I said, blow by blow. Uh, we're going to try out a little new format. We want to make an announcement before we do that. Um, by uh, December 31st, we're going to be switched over to a new feed for the podcast. Uh, those of you watching on YouTube, this is where we'll be. Those of you listening uh, on your favorite podcast, uh, we're working on switching over that feed. Um, there are some technical things to make that happen automatically that have not got the, to work. Uh, so we may have to go a hard uh, shut off of the old feed and um, ignition of a new feed. If that, when that happens or how that ever, however that's happening, we'll be putting up a three minute episode announcing kind of where that feed's gonna be um, later on uh, in, a, in next week or so. And then uh, we'll be announcing on social media, et cetera. But just to let you know that's happening so that um, as you're listening to this, as you're listening to other episodes, you don't get uh, um, kind of left behind. We would hate for that to happen. So just uh, wanted to put that out there for everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll try and make sure everybody's alerted. So we're gonna just jump into it. We're excited. Uh, we've all been reading this book. Uh, do you guys want to guess how far I made it? All, I mean, all the way? I want to believe to the end. All the way to the end! Right. Congratulations, Eric. You read a book. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Impressive. A whole book, like a big boy. Yeah, geez. <laughs> I don't know if it, I would consider this book a big boy book, but <laughs> in, number, in number of pages, but, uh, but we did it. Um, all right. So uh, we're jumping into the, the story phase. Uh, and in the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. All right, how do we want to do this? How do we want to start this off? Aaron, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I do. Um, let's let's lay some lay some groundwork. Let's get some background on this. I I love I love approaching it with a uh, who, what, where, when, why sort of situation. So let's let's start there. Uh, you mentioned we're gonna start off here with some spoiler-free content, and we'll uh, fire off some signal flares when we're about to hit spoiler territory. So, Sounds good. I think that's a good call. Yeah, we'll get you an introduction to the, the book for anybody who hasn't read it yet, wants to read it yet. Um, and then, like David said, we'll give you a heads up once we start diving into more spoilery stuff. Um, but first, let's talk Let's talk when. I feel like that's important, when, when this book is set. Um, so as far as I know, this is setting basically a century or so after 
the opening of the gates of Azir. Is that correct? Is that true? Yep. As far as you guys yep. know? Right about what, 70. Yeah. What, what yeah. Are, are there other events that have happened prior to this that are important that, that folks should know about to give some sort of context as to what's going on? I believe the, uh, so I think the events from City of Secrets have already occurred. Sure. Um, yep. Which is significant. Um, we have a we have a character who's been alive. Well, we have a number of returning characters, but one of them has a specific um, time frame, which gives us that's how we're getting that accurate. I think we're uh, our most accurate time frame here is based off the lifespan of uh, Warp Warp Fang. Oh, sure, right? sure. There's some comments about how long he lives. So that's that's how we're able to kind of bracket this in. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so um, the entirety of the Realm Gate Wars have occurred, right? Mm -hmm. yep. uh, up to now, and then City of Secrets. And uh, uh, Excelsis being being one of like the founding cities, right? So like we we know that a bunch of cities have been sort of founded by the followers of Sigmar, you know, the the forces of order at this point. So we know that the yep. world's being populated by quote unquote the good guys. Um, Season of war went down sure. in there for, for yep. establishing those. So uh, I think we yep. may or Firestorm at this point. Um, okay. Or not 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 clear on that um where they but they they may be concurrent or or um or in and around there but sure yeah so i mean just knowing when sort of informs you know what different motivations are and what what different characters that we are aware of already like where they're at you know in their in their lives or how they interact with everybody else all right so we got our when uh where's our where's our where where's this taking place so it starts Remember, off in the right. city of excelsius uh, and uh, and it it takes us um, all around. Uh, and is Excelsius in Garan? I think it's. Or is it Gur? Is it, is it Gur? Yeah, pretty sure. Rombi. Yeah. Uh, so it, this whole book takes place. Their whole travel takes place in uh, in Gur. Um, so they stay in this realm um, generally. Um, and uh, so it starts in the city Excelsius. Um, it moves a little bit later to a crazy city, the Crawling City. Sure. Um, a city that we've seen before, if you read the, uh, the, the, the Skaven Legends. Legends book. Yeah, yeah. Which, which Davey pointed me to, and I'm definitely going to go read that, because um, when Age of Sigmar uh, roleplay comes out, I think that Crawling <laughs> City would be an amazing yeah, uh, setting. Pretty cool. yeah. um, and we'll get to more about that as, as, as we... Well, I don't know if it would be worth talking a little bit about that now or, or later, um, uh, but then, uh, uh, the one, I guess we'll just talk about it now cause we're not going to be, we're not going to be going blow by blow. So what's cool about that city is that it's this gigantic worm where you don't see the front of it. You don't see the back of it. And there's this city that's, uh, come up on its, on its kind of grown out of its spines and Josh Reynolds gets to use some cool words that mean bug hair, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, or worm hair or whatever. And, uh, and the, so the city's built up on that. And every year at a certain season, uh, they can enter into the, the belly of the worm. And so this worm is just going across uh, Gur, and it's just eating whatever is in its path, whatever civilization, whatever. It could be underground ruins. It could be matter. Whatever it's in its path, it's eaten. And so they go down in. It could be a whole different, like, they could have gone in one year, and they've got, like, a uh, you know, um, uh, an old uh, dwarven, uh, rune, you know, thing, and in fact, that plays a part in here. That at some point, uh, it dug up a, an old uh, lodge, and there's a, a, a fire slayer book, yeah. um, you know, that they find. It's a treasure they put out. Another time, it could be like a, a skaven hovel and a whole bunch of you know stuff out of there. So I mean, like 
every every year when they go down, they could be finding a different. It's like it's like the world comes to them. Yeah. Well, and you right? want to um, so talk about a setting that like only AOS can accomplish, right? Right. It's, it's, it would never oh. work. I, I don't want to say never, but it would you'd have a hard it'd be a hard pill to swallow just to try and see something like that in the old world. So yeah. this is the sort of environment that really lets uh, AOS shine. There's a cool. Uh, so this is not the only crawling city. There's other giant worms with cities on them as yeah. well. Uh, and uh, chaos is like they do been trying to corrupt them. And so there's, I, I particularly enjoyed, there's a one that I think corn worshipers have, have grabbed and they're like in hot pursuit, like one worm going after another worm. And they're like, they might catch up with, uh, catch up in a few decades or something. Sure. Like they, they mapped it out like, oh, he's closing inexorably. And like in another hundred years, we're totally going to be there. You know, I just not like that time scale on it so that's funny um so my my question is um so when we read plague garden there is that uh area where it used to be home to the giant worms yeah is that where these worm cities come from i don't know if any direct uh connection has been made and these these are not necessarily nurgle pictures mm -hmm. of nurgle although to be fair i think that part of his realm that he took from yeah. someone else so it's certainly possible. I don't. I don't think any direct connection has been uh, made. So. Yeah, I would. But he wrote both, so who knows? I was just gonna say. I mean, knowing him, like. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then uh, from there we go to the third city. I'll let somebody else talk about that one. There's. Oh, you're talking about the. Okay, so uh, after that we do end up um, venturing to, and, and I won't get into like how we get there, but venturing to a, a large forest city. So I think in a previous book, I can't remember which one, it's made reference to. Uh, the, the sort of a dwarven uh, lodge or, or city or what have you, but it's the dwarves of like the forest, and so that they end up making, making Blake, their own. Blake Garden talked about, uh, I think the the root wardens, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. those. I, I assumed when I was reading that in Plague Garden that we were talking about, and we may have been talking about um, sort of more classic, you know, because the, the, they were seems like they were wiped out in the age of chaos. So I was thinking of them as. You know, sort of the dispossessed before they're dispossessed, but making homes. And but these are fire. This is a fire slayer. Wow. Sure. So I don't know if they're the exact same ones, but I still got the same sort of idea oh, of we're not yeah, using, yeah. you know, uh, stone or metal necessarily in the classic ways that dwarfs would. Uh, yeah. But instead, they're using I don't know if it's stone wood or what have you, but they're they're making their home in the forest instead, which yeah. is a pretty at fantastic. The, actually, at the at the end of this book, there's the extract extract from Play Garden. And one of the quotes from it is about Torglug the Woodsman had to hewn apart the ironwood shields of the Root Kings. Root Kings, there we go. Oh, gotcha. uh, and cast down their stone oak citadels. Yeah, and those guys were probably from Gyran, and now I think That's about true. it. But still, still super similarities. Cool. I really like the idea, and it's uh, some uh, unconventional way of thinking about Dwarden, um, which mm -hmm. we see more of. In yeah. this book too. Water yeah. dwarves are next. Call on <laughs> <laughs> Lang, Lang. <laughs> All right. Nice um, so then, uh, where do we go from here? Uh, the people. Sure. You want to talk about the who? So, one <sighs> of the things that's which is pretty cool about this book is that they bring in a ton of cool characters. Um, you know, like we again, we we get uh, a lot of stormcast in a lot of the books we've read, but uh, here they make it. I mean, there is a lot of diverse characters coming from a lot of different places. Um, kind of jumbled together, so that's really cool. Um, uh, why don't everybody go around and, and who was your favorite? I talked Paul's last time, so Paul's not here. Oh, David, all right, David, who's your favorite? Um, I had a, I had a couple favorites, but if we're if we're looking at just that core band um, that, was, that was roaming around, I liked uh, there was 
Zana, I think, um, uh, or Zara. She was uh, she was the uh, free uh, free company, like free people. Um, she's from the realm of Shaman, and uh, she was kind of living this mercenary lifestyle. I I thought she was uh, particularly well written, interesting. Had had some nuances, and she she kind of had that uh, a little bit of a world weary, but not you know not like game style you know grizzled oh I, I care about nothing like she she uh, i thought she was a nice kind of uh middle of the road character there with some with some cool uh, cool things that you and you could you could kind of see what you know what a melee style you know fighter person in the age of sigmar if you're just if you're not a stormcast you know what what does your life look like um so yeah. i thought that was pretty cool yeah she seemed to have the most connections to be the most connected um, she knew a number of the other characters. Um, you know, she's she was kind of already in the mix, so so a great support, um, and and very worldwide, like mm -hmm. how she dealt with other people and and you know, in a and of other races. So she was definitely crossed those boundaries. Sure, if you're gonna be a sellsword, I think you probably have to build those uh, relationships. Yeah, who did you dig uh, the most, Aaron? What I dig the most. Um, so if we're going to talk about the group, um, I mean, I liked everybody for a bunch of different reasons. Let's let's talk about uh, Lugash actually, or Lugash, however you say it. Um, so he's a he's a fire slayer without a lodge, without a uh, rune father. Um, he's a doom seeker specifically, and you don't get much more than that from him in terms of his background. Uh, he either owes um, his his patron, who we'll talk about in a little bit, owes him a favor or what have you, but he's not talking about it either. Um, so you would think sort of lacking the motivation for him to do what he does throughout the book would be sort of off-putting, but no, I'm, I'm into it. I'm down. Um, he sort of has a, I don't know, a, a free will about him in that, that he's, he's willing to sort of tackle any, uh, any challenge. And then it ends up being a pretty, uh, can I say badass uh, fighter? Um, so he, he's also a member of our, our, our adventuring party as well. Would you say he was slow to warm up to, and then the end uh, was hot as fire? I wouldn't need to because you just did. How <laughs> uh, about yourself? Who, who jumped out? Oh you? man, um, I really dug uh, Adima uh, of Sandor. She's a vampiress, um, and uh, she has a you know really cool scene at the beginning uh, of the of the book, um, and. Uh, I see a note here that perhaps she was in uh, another book. Yeah, but I uh, I wouldn't know because I live in America and I, I can't buy that book. <laughs> Bitterness abounds. Um, and so we get a really we really get a really interesting um, in depth look at what it means to be a vampire in Age of Sigmar. Um, things like uh, what the the thirst is, what their hunger for blood is. That they it almost has kind of like. The flavors, the smells, the odors that they can can kind of take uh, sense in in the blood. Um, there's a, they refer to it as like a song, mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple of things they refer to in that way. But like it's a the blood sings sings to them. Um, they are uh, they can be out in sunlight for a period of time depending on the strength of the vampire. Like that's something that gets explained a little bit. Like, but you know, being fully clothed and in the shadows is is pretty good. Um, 
they the vampires are silent as all get out and uh you know um yeah pretty pretty capable um and then in this case uh, she is um a direct servant of neferata who is a servant of gash and uh she's very loyal to that um she's has a kind of you know this direct connection neferata called her sister and and we get a little bit about neferata too which is kind of cool but uh just the way she treats there's certainly, you know, like I'm your master, but I have some, I have respect for you as a, as a, as, as an actor in this stage. Um, and the thing about Adima is that um, she also kind of struggles with uh, how spending time with these mortals uh, and kind of her, I don't want to say affection, but maybe how it evokes her memories and, and those, those, um, I don't know the the whims and the and the the character of the mortals really kind of appeals to her, um, and so kind of Nagash or sorry Nefrata has some fun kind of teasing her about that or like also being cautious about whether or not she's that's going to derail her from her mission, um, etc. So uh, she, yeah, she was probably my favorite, um, and uh, you know some wavering times on whether or not you you know was she is there any reason for her to be loyal to the group. Um, and, and what role was she going to play? So, uh, Paul, who was one of your favorite characters? We'll get to all of them, but uh, starting off with who your favorite was. Uh, I really enjoyed Rogan. Uh, he's basically the, the Giran Knight uh, with his Demigriff Harrow. So if you just imagine the Demigriff Knights, but instead of metal, everything was made out of wood. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the kind of the detail and the deep dive that he did in to kind of describe how that worked. Um, it was very interesting for me to have a character that um, was a former free people, kind of straight up, done one way, and then ended up being completely different with Allegiance to Lariel. It was, it was really cool. I liked the just the aspect of his character where, you know, he had, as it were, a sidekick with Harrow but he didn't really treat him as a sidekick and how Harrow became kind of his own character, especially when his interactions with um, the other characters, it, I just really liked it. I, I thought it was really well done. Um, and I thought it paired really well, especially with when we're talking about the, um, the, the forest. Um, I think it paired really well with how this thing, how wood could work basically, and how, how it made sense that this could be a possibility that you could have a demigriff um, with the wood theme instead of the metal theme. Yeah. Didn't uh, when the demigriffs first get released in, like, eighth or something, the, the whole thing, people were always talking about, like, just out of the woods came marching these demigriffs because... Yeah. Yeah. Where did they come from? Yeah. Yeah. So that's where they came from, the woods. Yep. So, um, I feel like we... Back roots. <laughs> You're, Playing ball. Um, I feel like we've been sort of beating around the bush because we've been talking about this adventuring party, but we haven't really touched on what I think most would consider the leader or the the main character of this of this group, um, and that is uh, one Mr. Owain Volker, who is uh, mm -hmm. uh, from Azir. He's a Azirian gunmaster, I think is probably the term. Um, yeah, so uh, originally came from Azir, but ends up um, being in the Ironwald Arsenal uh, in the city of Excelsis. 
and well, I mean, we'll, we'll get what happens to him eventually, but he ends up being one of the few, but I think the most um, regular uh, set of eyes that we as the uh, audience end up looking through. Um, he's, a, he's a crack shot uh, with his variety of different guns that he's got on him. Um, you know, I think he's your stereotypical main character, tries to do the right thing. Um, and, and I don't, I don't want to sell him short because I think he still was a particularly interesting character. I don't want, he's not, he's not stereotypical, I guess. Um, but uh, he, he's sort of the, the individual that you end up spending the most time with, who for the most part end up seeing sort of his inner thoughts more often than not. Um, so he's one the one that one. that we kind of get introduced into this world that some of the people that like, for instance, Zana Zana is already familiar with. Yeah, he's, he's kind of coming from a small space and being introduced to the the bigger, wider world. I think he's he's you know as the probably the main character here. Although we spend plenty of time seeing through other people's eyes, I think he's uh, been written to be the most relatable. Um, mm -hmm. And as a result, uh, it's probably why none of us picked him right off the bat. Is like, oh, we kind of know this guy to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's he's the most familiar already, and so maybe maybe your interest is drawn to some of these other ones, which isn't to say he's been done poorly. And you get to find out a little bit about how the Iron Weld Arsenal works. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's cool. It's one of the neat things about these kind of books yeah. is they fill out those little spaces. If you, you know, if there's some part of the game that you particularly like, you're going to find somebody along the way that tells you just that little bit more, gives you those hooks for the um, the part of the game that you enjoy. Yeah, I I definitely feel like Owen is a character who like you said, it's meant to be the person we see through the eyes. But at the same right time, Owain is somebody that could have actually existed in the old Warhammer fantasy world. Sure. There's yeah. not anything about him that's actually different or unique. Um, and he has this kind of mentor that he's kind of um, been taught underneath. And even that relationship is a traditional relationship, as it were. And it, I feel like to me, especially as we go farther and farther into the more AOS uh, periods of the plot and the world he allows you to explore that from any edition as it were perspective kind of like a mundane right. perspective a little bit yeah exactly yeah and so it's not necessarily that he's not interesting it's that we can depend on him because everybody knows who he is right that. he's the normal by which everyone else is compared um Exactly. Although in his own, uh, I will say in his own space, he's the youngest, um, what's his title? Gunmaster. Um, and of, of a lot of other old stodgy gunmasters. And so has a lot, there's a little bit of contempt for his, for him getting the position at such a young age. And he's spent a lot of time being tutored by dwarves, uh, mm -hmm. Dwarden, uh, spe specifically Oaken, who is one of our, uh, MacGuffins or, things that's yeah. drawing him into the into the fray and so that's a little bit unique about him is that he sits between those two worlds um a little bit and he's our one of our first perspectives too which is really cool in this book of azir and what life like that life in azir was like while the gates were closed sure um, so that's kind we, of interesting we've talked in like previous podcasts i can't even remember what books they were necessarily probably city of secrets actually but um it just it's hinted at the the interplay between uh is the word Azirian, I guess, uh, Azirians, and how right. the rest of the realms, denizens, yep. see them um, as, the, as, the, as the doors have been thrown open and they're sort of populating the world. So again, this is another example of, um, you see sort of glimpses of how 
uh, those folks are seen um, in the moral realms. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot that that you know he enters into this whole thing. Um, I would say we've got two other, maybe three other kind of main players. So this is we've got a group of of heroes. Um, I guess the only one we haven't mentioned in that group who comes in kind of mid book is uh, Nyoka. Nyoka. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> She's a uh, a priestess of Sigmar, um, and it it's cool. Like she pronounced, she must Sagmar, or it's this yeah. idea that Sagmar. yeah, you know, language evolves in in uh, isolation from each other. So it's you get some sense of the dialect and and you know the different ways that you see this somewhat in uh, 40k, right, where the the emperor is is. Uh, uh, worshipped as different things on different planets. Well, here you essentially have that same thing. These people have been isolated for a long time, and so you know the the cult of Sigmar changes depending on where you are, where you're at. Um, so yeah, she's she was interesting. She had some familiarity since she you know you, we'd seen Priests of Sigmar before, but uh, with with that cool AOS twist where you know Sigmar is somehow some kind of worm god sort of you know because she lives in the crawling city. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. That was <laughs> Her hammer had uh, was a, a worm with Sigmar's head on it. Yeah, um, yeah. She, was, she was also called called the one of the other characters a witch. So she's got so there's some. She was called a fanatic. Uh, she's um, maybe got a bit of witch hunter kind of that feeling there. So you start and you get a little bit of insight into that order too because um, she's from the Worm City. So uh, or a, a version of the the voted of Sigmar kind of thing in there too. So they they really pull in all those different free people stuff. Yeah. Well, also, I, I very much felt that her character was a sister of Sigmar, which was a faction that was in Mordheim when it was released way back when. I literally kept picturing one of my models and being like, this is her. Like, There's a model that has it's a matriarch. It has a hammer. Like, Obviously, the hammer is different, but like, uh, yeah, I, I very much pictured her as that character, that model. Um, so it, it, I found it really interesting, especially um, when it comes to Nioka, is... It, it also comes into play in Owen's character as well, the politics of being in these places, right? Yep. Um, so it's not, it's part of what makes it an older world instead of a newer world, right? Um, so with Owen, it's more of like, he's a new guy and there's old people that are already there who are established, etc. And with Nioka, it's like, well, I'm here, but now this person has come to oversee and therefore now we're in conflict, right? There's actual politics going on. There's actual, like, tension between people of the same side. Mm -hmm. And instead of just being like, oh, yeah, it's good guys fighting bad guys, and hopefully we win, it's, no, we're actually going to get into more of the tension between what is this guy good, what good guy want versus what is this good guy want, and how do we actually come in and interact within those two. So I found that to be a really interesting um, addition that, to me, fleshed out a lot of more like, nope, these cities have been lived in for a little while. This is more of what's actually going on now. I actually pictured Gwendolyn Christie, uh, Captain Phasma in this role, uh, <laughs> or her role from uh, um, Game of Thrones. So <laughs> she seemed like she would fit that role well. Oh, is that Brienne? Is that who that is? Yeah, Brienne of Tarth. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Um, so then there's three other characters that are kind of other um, opposition, right? 
You, yep. you need a you need good and, villains for a good story. Antagonists. Uh, so, who do you want to hit first? The best uh, one, obviously. Uh, Az and Kel. He, he's a he's a, he's, a, he's, oh, he's a Kel. He's a proud he's people. The last of the Kels. He is the last of the Kels because he killed all the rest of them. Um, yeah, Az and Kel. Killed all the rest of them. Let's uh, let's let's talk about this this fine fella. So he is a corn. Um, one of the hero death, types, death yeah, bringer. yeah, sure, death, exactly. maybe even exalted Deathbringer. Who knows? No. Um, so we actually, uh, we for those who have read The Road of Blades, um, which is basically a, a direct sort of prequel to this book, um, we are introduced to him in in that little short story. Uh, he has to fight a bunch of other coronate, um, you know, heroes or champions because he's called to meet up with how do I say this, Volunder Skullcracker. Uh, he, who is also a familiar face we've seen in a few other books as well. Um, the reason he's called is because uh, he's going to sort of represent Volunder as, as his champion or his, his emissary or what have you to go and find um, the, 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 the namesake of this book, one of our, one of our eight lamentations. Yeah, so this is uh, one of these fun, like greater mythology of age of Sigmar, right? Where corn uh, has these eight Smiths and, you know, each tied to a different realm and they are, you know, each each have made weapons and, and all that sort of thing. So, well, um, this... I, I don't think we should gloss over that. Can you do you want to go further on that? Um, like, is that all of the is that all of the myth? Is there more to it? Well, I think okay. we're actually yeah, and inter we're interacting with another character that as kind of a central role, as it were. Even though uh, there's not all that much interaction, um, which is uh, Grungy, the dwarf god. Is actually the one of the central characters of the plot, as it were. Um, and there's this really interesting interaction where they describe what's going on between Grungy and these cornate, um, these cornate blacksmiths, and how the cornate blacksmiths are making the weapons for corn, um, and they each have a different character because they're each from a different realm. And let's be honest, I love the guy with eight arms. It was really cool. I immediately wanted to go and convert a model with him. So, so well, let's go back to the the myth of the eight lamentations because um, I, I mean this is the main draw of the book. This is the main draw of this whole story. I don't want to just uh, tip our toe into it if if we're going to go into it. Um, do we? So I just wanted you to keep going on it, Davy, if you want to. Uh, yeah. So these um, these are eight, you know, mythical like super weapons and they've each been forged and lost to uh lost and discovered again and lost again uh we saw one of these already at uh, actually we've seen a couple at this point but we we saw one back in fury of gork uh marrow cutter it was kind of the, the whole driving force of that that book uh and that was found and then again uh lost um uh auction of blood is sort of the prequel to this the soul lash was discovered and then here, uh, Gung, the Spear of Shadows, um, from from the title of this book is um, is what they're hunting. And each of these weapons, so obviously we found it found out the most about uh, the Spear of Shadows, Gung, uh, in this one. These these weapons exist. Um, had a really cool line specifically about uh, Gung. It was uh, it was something else masquerading as a spear, a moat of cosmic filth stretching out toward him across every realm, hungry for his death. Yeah. So, yeah, it's more it's more than just a spear. So you like you really get the idea like whoa, 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 super weapon. Uh this this one apparently you can 
say speak the name of your target and then throw it and it will find it will find whoever it's going whoever you've spoken the name of it will find that person and spear them straight through so um super powerful and uh it's it's uh surfaced again people think they might know where it's at and so now the race is on who can who can find it and uh, either harness it or keep it uh keep it out of play on the on the great big board for the the game being played out of uh sigmar's pantheon shattered pantheon versus the chaos gods and i don't know if we'll we'll talk about it all but there's so that's a pretty big thing that the that the spear can do that Mm -hmm. right and it it certainly um comes up towards the end there's a couple of points where it first kind of comes up where where somebody's like all right i'm gonna use that ability um uh, they're hilarious <laughs> that I think are with uh, one of the minor characters in there is a, is a vermin Lord. Um, and uh, you know, he has somebody he wants to, he wants to get his hands on it. So he's like, all right, just let me get this guy. Let me get, tell you his name. And then you can just have oh, yeah. the spirit kill him <laughs> just, <laughs> and then I'll get it. <laughs> but they kept dying before like, they could give him his name because they were so afraid of him. <laughs> so it was just this funny moment where it was like, yeah, somebody's finally going to use this this ability. And it's so... There's a, I mean, you just touched on a, a glaring shortcoming of the spear that you name somebody that you want to throw it at and you throw it at. When it finds them, sure, it'll kill them. But then it just drops. Like, there. Like, that's... Yeah. It just ends up where it ends up. So, like, it ain't yours anymore. Yeah. Um, so, good luck. Uh, yeah, read the manual and uh, um, no no refunds yeah <laughs> uh so that was that was one of our uh, antagonists we're talking yeah. about uh, what did you think as far as i mean he's a corn bloodbound guy right um sure. how did you think of his depth uh what kind of character was he was he interesting i don't want to get too much into it now without spoiling too much um okay i, I like his his brazenness i like the fact that and this isn't a spoiler but i'm fairly certain he's the dude who killed uh Caddick in um, Plague Garden, uh, who also was a Kel. Um, it says in the yeah. book here that he, he killed Prince uh, Caduceus or whatever his name is, who obviously has to be the uh, the knight, whatever, whatever, in Plague Garden. So that's him yeah. for sure. Uh, yep. Good call. Uh, so, so that maybe I'm bringing that into this book a little bit too much because yeah. I think that, that anybody who can take that dude down a peg is all right in my book. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, all in all, he had his. I think he had his ups and downs, and we we can get into it later. Yeah, yeah. I, but, I think um, we've talked before. It can be tough to write a, a corn character. I think he was given some things to do other than just be like a, a slaughter, slaughter yeah. bus, you know, running over people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that running kept, through people kept him interesting. Yeah. Well, the other thing, uh, and it, it ties in exactly with what you said, Aaron, is that he is a Kel. He has a character other than I'm a guy who likes to kill things, right? And which is also the character where a Kel is, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> well, but, but a lot of the motivation of the Kells is not, I want to kill things, it's I want to be the best. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Right? And he's the last Kel, and he's like, I'm still going to hold on this tradition of being a Kel, even if I'm the last one. Sure. It's become, you know, twisted, as it were, by the Bloodbound mantra, but it still is about him being a Kel. And especially when you've read Plague Garden, you get Kadok, you've got one side of it, and this is another side of it. So it's almost like, those two characters, you know, fit in really well together to define opposite sides of the coin, but also something more than just good guy, bad guy. Sure. Right. Sure. Uh, so another bad guy, uh, Udok of the, oh, of the nine. 
and then along with him were the 99 feathers. Um, mm -hmm. So Yudok is a chaos sorcerer under the service of Archeon. He's a Zinch, uh, in, you know, Zinch uh, style. Um, and uh, and he's, he's also tasked, I mean, it's his job to go and get this as well. There's a number of people of, of factions trying to get at uh, the spear and he represents Archeon trying to get at the spear. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's interesting, he's you know, dressed all in, in kind of crystalline armor um, with blue robes. Um, uh, there's some interesting things about what he's capable of. There seems like there's a lot, of, he does a lot of cool transmutation and illusory type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, an incredible backstory, like a really cool sort of origin story that uh, they, they don't reveal here because it's kind of spoiler city for Fury of Gork. Um, mm. So I guess I'll steer clear of it, but uh, his is one of my, he had a nice kind of reveal at the end of Fury of Gork to, to get what he's all about. And so it, it made me enjoy him more than I might have because I, I had that okay. in the back of my, back of my head reading this. So, so there's a couple of plugs there for Fury of Gork. It would not be a bad idea to, to go and check that one out um, to tie into this one. Yeah. Well, also the 99 Feathers, I, I'm just in love with this idea. Uh, so basically what the 99 Feathers are, are they are a uh, mercenary troop. I think it will be a, a fair thing to say. Mm -hmm. uh, that can transmutate from ravens into people. But they obviously keep some elements of the people when they transform into ravens, and ravens when they transform into people. And from the moment they gave the description, I was like, oh, we could easily just kitbash this guy out of Age of Sigmar stuff. I mean, uh, the way that they're described, they have a bird skull as a helmet, and they have a cloak of feathers. And I'm like, you know what? You get that that skull pack. You get those bird skulls. You just hollow them out. You put them on a normal head, and you bronze them or you know gold them, whatever. There you go. You've got the mask itself, as it were. And then <clears throat> there was an especially <clears throat> amusing moments where they were in ravens, and they were able to kind of interact a little bit more than a raven might be able to uh, with other characters in the story. Um, it, it was a really interesting thing because there wasn't actually any specific character I felt that was defined as an individual in the 99 Feathers. I don't think so. It was more, yeah, it was an overall, this is who they are. And so there was, it was, there was one leader of the, of that group. Could you describe that leader in any way? I, female. The leader was female. Oh yeah. That's all I can True. That's a good point. But yeah, yeah uh, I like that. That was all you can describe, right? Like yeah. it is very much like it's a flock of birds. They Which one is the leader? I, I don't know. The one who threatens me. I, and and interesting too is that they they were in service of him. Now he paid for that service. Yeah. Uh, they they weren't necessarily chaos themselves, right? No. Nope. Mm -hmm. um, or at least not. You know, again, a loyal chaos. They're a mercenary, like you said. All right, last, we have one more character to talk about before we, we get into a few more details. Spoiler-free details. <laughs> Who wants to take uh, Warp Fang? Yeah, I got it. He, uh, we last saw him in Black Rift. He was a, a Skaven warlord that pledged himself to Corn and actually acquitted himself pretty well, uh, pretty well there, which means that here, almost 100 years later, he is, like, absurdly ancient for Skaven, uh, and so it plays that up a bit. It's cool because he has this like he he uh, he's no longer in his physical prime. Like he he it hurts him to like stand up from his chair and stuff. But, Me too. Uh, 
but he is uh he's got a wisdom that uh, most skaven never live long enough to obtain and uh particularly entertaining is uh this is a guy who who's he's interacting with a uh, vermin lord uh warbringer i believe is what this one is and mm -hmm. uh the whole time he's like man this this vermin lord is just just a straight up idiot like <laughs> he, like he, he deals with him because he he it's you know the vermin lord is powerful and you know but he, he manipulates the hell out of this uh vermin lord which is a, which is a cool kind of switching usually it's mm -hmm. you know the vermin lord pulling the strings on everyone else and this this guy's got the the wherewithal to um make the make the vermin lord dance to his own tune so and then i love uh, that he had an alarm system for the vermin lord <laughs> it's kind of awesome <laughs> Uh, and then in his employee, he's got uh, Quell, who is a renegade. He's he's uh, used to be a uh, warp lock engineer from Scryer, but I think he's actually been kicked out. Like I don't know what crazy stuff you have to do to get kicked out of <laughs> you know, a Skaven Engineering Guild, but uh, yeah. So that guy's kind of fun for that reason too. So. Yeah. Um, and I would say I think that yeah, I think that they play. You know, Skaven are always. You know, ever present uh, throughout these, and so uh, it's always good when they can make an appearance. I think a lot of times in these books, Skaven end up being sort of like a pseudo force in nature. Like even though you get you get the, the point of view from there, and, and we do, like we see the world through Crutch's eyes and so on. Um, but even so, it, it always ends up being sort of a I don't know, I don't want to say tertiary because they're still important, but um, like it's, a, it's again sort of its own force, whether it's thinking or not, um, which I always sort of like about them. Yeah. You never know what they're going to do. All right, um, and so that's those are many of our main characters. Is there anybody else that, uh, as you mentioned, Grogni is in it? Um, uh, I don't think there's any other anybody else to mention, really. Captain Brunt, if you want to talk about him. Ah, uh, there's a, there's a Caradron Overlord captain. Sure. Who's, uh, just as you'd expect, full of barnacles, crotchety. <laughs> Uh, drives a hard bargain, uh, I think. They're, so they're uh, yeah. Also in the soft spot, you know. <laughs> right here, where you can. Yeah, that's where you found it. Uh, but, but I think they they create. Uh, I mean, the Kredren aren't written into a ton of stories yet in the mainstream, right? Uh, and I think that they paint a pretty good picture of 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 the Kredren in in this book, um, and give you a good sense of them, right? I agree. Uh, and I think that's where, where Davey, you were we were talking about uh, Zena and her kind of worldliness. Um, she even knows, uh, you know, uh, in this short period of time, she even knows a Caradron Overlord a Captain in a, such a way that she can press his buttons. Um, and so that says a lot about her as well. They're still rel relatively new. Um, but interestingly enough, even the Crawling City has, you know, like ports out of the way, um, you know, and... and uh, uh, Adima talks about some of them in uh, Shyish, where they stick to the mountaintops. They don't come down into the depths and that sort of stuff. So you get a little bit more character and role for the KO. Yeah, totally. There's another army. It's not a character, but there's Spider Fang in here. So. That's <laughs> awesome. Oh, we should. Yeah, we should probably mention them. <laughs> yeah, I did. You're welcome. <laughs> More like you're welcome to you. Like that was a personal favor to yourself. Thank you, Josh Reynolds. Yeah, right. I love it. Let's uh, let's finish up our sort of spoiler-free segment with a quick uh, quick overview of like the the what like what's the we already talked about it some with with the uh, what the lamentations were, uh, but uh, you know the 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 underlying 
driver behind the book and then uh, and then once we've kind of touched on that we'll drop the spoiler curtain and get well I'd, I'd like to say I mean Neferata um, there's a point where Neferata is uh, kind of speaking to herself or thinking to herself and and she's talking quite a bit about just she's a, a gatherer a hoarder of opportunities of you know uh, creating possibilities right and for her um, the the ca capturing these eight lamentations if she were able to take them and put them into her collection the ability to um you know have one of these uh weapons could change the course of a battle she says then two of them having two of them in your possession could change the course of a war having more uh could shape all the realms um and and so that's the emphasis she puts on those um and it definitely seems like some people have a much more direct um, thing that they would want to do with them and in some cases there's there's a fear that especially the spirit of shadows could be used uh, to kill a god right. um, so Alerio could be in danger Nagash could be in danger um, Arcan could be in danger uh, and not just from the forces of, of the, the alliances of order death and and destruction but from other chaos mm. um, uh, factions as well um, and so I think that was a really interesting part of the book that that placed a really uh, good emphasis on what what the motivations could be and and uh, and what the the kind of the the levity of of these weapons in the in the realms if found would would be there. Yeah, I think the other thing that um, is going on here is it's a bit of like an AOS A team or a Mission Impossible scenario where you get a bunch of different people together to make your your superhero party to go on and try and uh, attain this sphere of shadows. Um, so. Uh, that's basically the idea is you collect all these different people, uh, you form this team and you're going to go out and you're going to try and, and take this spear of shadows. But of course, nobody knows exactly where it is and nobody knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a it's, race. It's, like, when it comes yeah. down to it. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a rollicking adventure story, in my opinion. It's a lot of, uh, this, there's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of, um, I know where I'm going next, but I don't know where I'm going after that. Sure. Right? Like everything is kind of stepping stones. Um, so it, I, I appreciated that a lot. There's a lot of uh, like tenuous alliances of folks working together sometimes, but not all the time. You don't know who's, who's helping who. Um, I think it, 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 it's not a common trope, but like it, it touches on stuff that you're used to seeing in, in different sorts of um, other media or other, you know, mediums. Um, mm -hmm. It works well. It works well in this setting, especially when you have a an important, not just a MacGuffin, but an important, like usable, useful, like goal that folks are are after. It had it had stakes, as, we, as Eric touched on, um, knowing that the, the the winner of this goal uh, really could threaten anyone at any time. Mm. Those are those are some big stakes. Um, and and so we kind of get we kind of it's revealed to us. Uh, in a couple of stages, um, uh, you know, that uh, there's an early uh, kind of very early uh, interaction between um, Adema and uh, Ahazian um, about getting this kind of splinter of the, the spear. Um, and so that's, that's something that's this, this little splinter is kind of attuned. A lodestone, as it were. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's showing him where, what direction, or how to sing into him a little bit, how to how to retrieve this, 
Um, yeah, what? Because he has to. He pulls it out of a, a breastplate of a white king that had been killed by it or something. Which I mean, small potatoes, right? Who's throwing it at a white king? Well, the way they describe this guy, he looked. Uh, he looked just like that. Uh, the white king model that used to be um, Krell. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize. Well, and who knows what he was before he was a white king, right? Sure. Like, he might have been some amazing, like, tap dancer or something. It was Krell or some equivalent of Krell, then you probably would take the spear shadows to take him down. All right, I take back what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he's got that. Um, uh, Oaken, who we'd mentioned briefly, uh, the mentor of uh, Volker, had, been, had gone somewhere to track it down, and, and uh, Grumney had lost communication with him. Um, and so that was one of his uh, pieces. Um, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Adema was kind of going after that same piece to try and uh, uh, that uh, Ahazian was doing. So they're kind of tracking each other to try and get there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so there's a lot of different, and, and obviously um, uh, Nudak had the 99 feathers. You, you see these ravens early on. Um, and so, you know, they're kind of helping seek out and try and find information to help him find it, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of kind of different um, kind of uh, launch pads uh, for these different characters into this, which was the variety of that was, was fairly interesting, uh, that there's a lot to pull from there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, our main, our main uh, dig into the story then is, is we get to meet uh, Grogni and uh, how he forms this team and puts it together. Uh, and, and that's and that's really interesting. And and we we had one other book. Um, I mean, so in the a lot of Age of Sigmar books, we get uh, Sigmar talking to Stormcast. He's a real god talking about people. We got you know some time with Alariel. Um, but one of the one of the tensions, as you would imagine, here is Grugni has been missing, has been gone uh, for a period of time after he kind of forged the last armor or taught Sigmar his you know. Um, uh, Smith's how to create the Stormcast armor, he disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so there's, a, in the same way that there's a tension, we talked a little bit about uh, um, about Sigmar having um, left the mortal realms, closed the doors, and abandoned everybody who was left. Um, there's some feeling that after that happened, then uh, Grugni kind of did a similar thing where he took off and abandoned uh, the Alliance um, uh, post- um, Gates of Azir. Um, so there's a little bit, there's that tension here and here we get to see him and we get a few of those, we get to, to hear a little bit more, you know, his side of that. Um, not in a, it's interesting cause it's not in a answers every question kind of way. No, um, but inner, but I, I felt, you know, very satisfying. I think, um, in, in how the character answered it, who he is and, and how he does that. Well, this is, um, this is something that's in the very first chapter where Grungy is in his um, smithy, right? And he is attacked by corn. One of the really interesting things, uh, little details was is this, that... Uh, is this something we want to... <laughs> do we want to go to spoilers after that? Or is that a spoiler? This is first chapter. I know. So I'm wondering if we want to jump to to warnings or anything uh, at this point. Yeah, klaxons. If you don't want to hear any spoilers about specific details, um, uh, any key key story points, except for you know that sort of thing, go ahead and click away now. Um, I, I guess one thing I'd say, you know, this happens on other uh, 
when I see other book reviews and or movie reviews, that sort of stuff, when it's spoiler free. So before we go to get spoilers, what is it, maybe just what's your what was your initial impression of of the book? Um, you know, if you were to, had a scale, what would that scale be, and where would you put it? Sure. Um, I don't have a scale yet. I'll talk and I'll come up with a scale. Uh, I think <laughs> I'll, I'll, I feel like we've just recently read a few Reynolds books in a row. I actually just read Hammer Hall too, so like Reynolds is on my mind. Um, and what I love about so you got a Reynolds scale. I uh, you, okay. I'm gonna. I'll see you later. Um, uh, what I love about series like this, or you know, you know, extended worlds like this, is the interplay across different books and, and having characters show up in different places and sort of becoming acquainted with characters, not just in an individual book, but over a course of many books and many settings and so on and so forth. So now that we're getting a lot more of that, this book being a prime example of it, a little bit of Play Garden was doing the same thing. Um, we're getting more and more of it as time goes on, and that only makes me enjoy these books more and more. Heck, the stories could start getting worse, and I wouldn't even notice because I just love the interplay between the different characters. So I will say that this is one of my favorite, if not if not my favorite, because I'm getting more and more of the the interrelationships, the the, the play between characters that I've grown to know and appreciate. So, having said all that, I'll give it. I mean, as far as Oh, I don't want to qualify like this, but it, let, let's keep it in the microcosm of AOS books. I think it's a it's a five out of five. All right, boom. <laughs> Davey, what you got? Uh, I think uh, I'm right on board with Aaron. I, I really enjoyed that it was a. Uh, it really felt made the Age of Sigmar universe feel more lived in. Like I, I got it was one of the best books for getting a feel of the overall you know, universe for Age of Sigmar. Better than City of Secrets because that was just the one city that saw more places, saw people from greater areas, still tied into the greater mythology of uh, of Age of Sigmar. Um, so, yeah, I'll go... Uh, uh, I, I The only thing I would say is that... Uh, like, whoa, what, what are you... you? Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, Plague Garden had more moments where I was like... Uh, like holy cow that was amazing um i think uh but this i liked more for the um yeah just for for world building so i'll give it uh eight out of ten athermatic weapons nice how was you paul uh i i really enjoyed uh that it was an adventure story um some of the stories especially in the beginning of AOS, tended to be like, there's this force, and there's this force, and they're going to fight. So let's talk about how they're going to fight. And now they're fighting. Yay! Right? Like, that's very simplistic, I understand. But, like, it, it, it tended to be more of, like, this is what's going on. And this was more of a, like I said, a, a rollicking adventure story. I, I really enjoyed the, the getting together of a team, the interaction of the team, um, the, the journey itself before they had the final um, showdown, as it were. So um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. So I'm going to give it eight out of eight spider legs. <laughs> oh, great, great, great. I know we're going to do fun that ratings. Was, that, was scale, that was a scale I thought of first. And I was like, I can't take that all come over and choke me in my own house. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, like the, the stuff that I read when I was a kid was the Sword of Shannara stuff. It was the Dragonlance stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a resurgence in the Dungeons and Dragons, um, and which is a, a collection of, of disparate individuals who bring different things to the party. 
and um, I've, I have really enjoyed kind of the army books of um, that we've read so far of the Stormcast. I like getting to know them, but this was, uh, you know, one of the questions I had was, I don't know how normal people, non-superheroes like the Stormcast could live in Age of Sigmar. How would they survive outside of a city wall, right? Because there's so many things that want to just kill you and, and eat you and, and you know, whatever. Um, and this really kind of explained it to me in a very, it, to me, it showed it in a very realistic way. It told a story um, that was plausible, <laughs> right? Uh, in, in, you know, as, as far as high fantasy goes. And um, one of the things I loved was that it, in all of the books and all of the campaign books, there's a ton of this, these little name drops and, and hey, there's this place and there's that place and there's tiny descriptions that make you go, oh, I want to go there. And this book lets you go there. This book shows you those things and lets you get a little piece of it. And they do it even more kind of, you know, do some other name dropping, um, that sort of thing. But I felt very satisfied getting to go to some of these places, getting to get even just a chapter or two in one of these spots and, and really kind of have a little bit more to chew on. Um, I don't, I would say that uh, this was our, you know, a lot of the Stormcast book don't have a ton of dialogue. You know, they're not, and they're not known for this, again, this all kinds of different characters playing off each other, though some of the, again, Plague Garden had more of that. Um, but I think I think dialogue is something that I would want, I, I want a little bit of work on um, from Josh in that I felt like some of it Come on, was man. kind of, Don't say that. Well, it was kind of the constant jabbing each other. <laughs> like it felt like there was almost all just like, if someone would say something, someone's like, oh, sarcastic war game are you, uh, you know, or... <laughs> Yeah, or whatever, whatever. Anyway, so it, everyone was a little bit um, snarky, uh, but uh, I felt yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, other than that, I think that, uh, that it was really good. So I guess I would give it, um, uh, I, because we've been reading, uh, uh, you know, Sigmar, Sigmarine books, uh, I'd give it eight out of 10 hammers. <laughs> So that's what I got. Like, so uh, I mean, over like worm, worm hammers. Are those like the small hammers? hammers? Are those like the the throwing hammers? The animal hammers? No, but just is it is it a worm hammer with Sigmar's face on it, or oh you, you is decide? It's a worm with Sigmar's face. Yeah, yeah, you decide. <laughs> um, so overall, we we really enjoyed the book. It sounds so. um, and had a lot of fun reading it. Um, and so now we're going to get into talking about what um, some of the things that we'll be talking about. Uh, so again, spoiler. Don't go past here if you're planning on reading it still, um, or if if you have issues with spoilers before you read stuff. Um, we're going to be talking through um, kind of more of the points, more of the details. Uh, we're going to pick out some of the themes. Uh, we're going to talk about what we think this means for future stories, uh, and uh, you know other other setting points, etc. So stick around if you want to join in with uh, in that conversation with us. All right, so we've done our spoiler warning. Spoiler warning done. So, arc of the story. We start off in Excelsius. Um, do we get uh, more about I mean, uh, ex, um, city of Sh city of shadows? Secrets. A little bit. Secrets. City of secrets was more inside the city, right? A lot of yeah. interior. Mm -hmm. uh, this starts outside the city. Yeah. Um, did you guys? Uh, what did you find out more about uh, about Excelsius that you didn't know? Um. um as I kind of said before, it's also about the politics, right? Like we've got this Azir migration in, we've got 
this uh these guys are leading from the back these guys are leading from the front right which is the whole thing with Owain. um and it it's just it's a very we start out again as a grounded Owain's character in eighth edition it's a you dig ditches you have cannons you have you know you're fighting the skaven it's a very this battle could have easily happened in eighth edition and nobody would have blinked an eye yep. right like it, it's a very standard setting even though it's in this very fantastical excelsis word world or city that would not have existed in in uh, eighth edition it very much is starting outside and kind of grounding you as the story starts to move forward absolutely what did you guys think of that what else did we learn about excelsis or anything that you guys really stood out to you it's troubles are not over it's under siege big time you know um, yeah by the Skaven specifically, so that's that's what we kind of come into. Yeah, I really liked how again, uh, similar to City of Secrets, we get a sense of the human perspective of the Stormcast. Um, so when they're in the trenches and the, um, I don't know, are they Sons of Moor or is that a different uh, Sons of Malice? Sons of Malice uh, come down and kind of help the lines, that sort of thing. Like, you know, they're just huge, you know, and they're they're. Some of them have been reforged a lot, and so they're they're not there's not a ton of emotion. So there's a little bit of trepidation, but not it doesn't feel like they're they feel endangered by them, right? That uh, any of that reforging has turned into them scary. Maybe not, not maybe not endangered, but uh, we, we do see examples of uh, maybe them not because of their own sort of immortality. Maybe they're not value, valuing the mortality of the humans that they're there to protect. So I think we see examples of folks being like, oh, we got to save so we got to save this group, we got to save that group. And they're like, ah, oh, no, they're lost. Like, sorry, man. Um, so it, it, maybe they do end up losing a little bit of their humanity um, being, being yeah. the Stormcast, uh, which I think we've seen elsewhere too. It's an interesting critique because that same critique is uh, leveled against gods uh, in sure. the story as well, um, that they're very pragmatic uh, and not always as compassionate. Um, although Volker uh, disagrees. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, and, and so uh, loved that Volker was kind of like this, this talented guy kind of held down by others in his rank. So he's kind of stuck in this position. I, I know the feeling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, but it also meant that he had probably was the most sh sharp and honed and, you know, like in the in the field and doing that. Um, uh, I liked some of the description of like the Ironweld arsenal and people be able to doing math in their head and arcs and, you know, yeah. that sort of stuff was kind of cool. Um, I don't know that feeling. I can't do that. I, I thought it made sense that uh, an organization that plays that, um, that is so heavily influenced by Duarden is going to be... Uh, is going to place a value on your age, you know? So I, I was like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense above and beyond, you know, just, Hey, what's this young guy doing? You know? But yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Um, it, it's cool. It's a, you know, it's a hybrid organization, right? Uh, Dwarden yeah. big time on it, but a lot of humans in there too. So, well, and that's interesting too, because the iron world arsenal is certainly is the, is the initial mixed, uh, like mixed race, uh, faction. Um, and so, you know, we've seen some with, with firestorm some more, but, uh, you know, uh, from the first one. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting to see how they they work together. Um, uh, and it's cool seeing the you know, long rifles and and cannons and repeater um, uh, pistols, all that kind of stuff, uh, kind of come into play as well. Um, but uh, and and so Volker gets called away, correct? He sees 
well, so there's a big, there's a big, uh, well, we're not going to go blow away vote. This is hard for me. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Yeah, you want to talk? Well, you, you could say, well, it, we're dropped sort of from his perspective. We're dropped into a, a fight, like an invasion with, yep. with escape. Um, where, where there's some losses. Even Stormcast themselves are getting taken down by like sor- swords and swords, swarms and hordes of <laughs> of Skaven. Um, and I, I've I've started and I'm going. And actually, I can't remember what happened. Do they end up like calling it off? What's what stops the fight? Yeah. Like he gets out of yeah. somehow. They've sent a number of waves, and you know, eventually this wave is defeated, like like some of the others. You know, it, it's, they're figuring out what's what are testing waves and what are true waves. Anyway, point being, um, you know, uh, Owain narrowly avoids death, loses some buddies, but uh, he's pulled from the battle, and then uh, he's pulled on to a greater purpose, which is to uh, be a cool dude in this book. Sure, I think actually that's what it says. Like he has a vision that says, "Hey man, go be a cool dude in the book." Yeah. Um, isn't that right? He ends up seeing like a, a, a some image of uh, Grumney somewhere, yeah, like in, in the fire and in the the smoke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah. So I mean, as far so the, our first thing we wanted to talk about was character arcs. Do we want to just talk through um, kind of Volker's arc? He's our main character, and and see who plays off of that. I, I don't mean blow by blow, but I mean like he starts off again. He's leading a small group. They respect him, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the hierarchy doesn't respect him. Um, but uh, we find out uh, that, well, he gets kind of picked by Grugni. Um, and we find out later that one of his kind of higher ups sees the potential in him. And uh, who, who speaks to Grugni, who, who counsels Grugni, it sounds like, um, and pointed at Volker, Volker as, as a really good pick for uh, going on this mission. Yeah, um, you know, and he he as he leads this, well, as he's part of this group, he ends up falling into something of a leadership role for this uh, <clears throat> team. Uh, what I appreciated that uh, uh, I thought Reynolds did a good job of establishing this as a reasonable thing that could happen. This guy is not like, oh, look, you know, the the traditional fantasy trope of here's a farmhand who oh turns out he's like the hero <laughs> that saves the world. This guy's done some things already, right? Like he's yeah um, he's he's been in combat and he's led led um men and dwarves in combat so uh, it was not unreasonable that he could step into this this leadership role so that, that, was, that was enjoyable well yeah and you you talk about believable i mean i do think it's it's certainly gradual um it's it isn't immediate and every person he meets from the group has like even so he steps from his iron world arsenal hierarchy into this group who've all seen the world and know more about the world than he does because one, he's from Azerite uh, or Azir. He's a spoiled rich kid um, without, you know, much experience outside the walls of Excelsior. Um, and, uh, you know, he hides behind a gun, right? So it seems like everybody in this, this party has some reason to kind of push him down and kind of dismiss him, I guess, um, in the group. Um, and you get some of that's more playful, like Xana's a little more playful about it. Um, uh, who's the, the Dwarden? Um, Lugash. Lugash is pretty you know, blunt about it, right? Um, <coughs> Rogan's indifferent. Like he's he's kind of like everybody likes Rogan, right? <laughs> Guy you want to have beers with. Um, but uh, so, I mean, but he goes through that initial kind of stunting or dismissiveness uh, from the get-go because he's, he's, your, he's the human. Who's you know always, you know 
done the right thing and been a part of the establishment or whatever. I don't know. Um, so at what point does he start kind of becoming leader? I mean, nobody's really appointed as leader. There are a bunch of people, you know, nobody really is like, Hey, let's, let's do this together, guys. Everything is awesome. I think it happens so, notably. Well, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to, just to get us there. I think, um, so he, he's called to sort of action by, um, Drogni, uh, yeah. through this vision, right? So he ends up finding, finding the secret, uh, meeting place of Drogni somewhere, I think somewhere in the city, like Celsius, right? Um, he finds his back alley and he ends up meeting up with this group. And so Drogni calls sort of this call to action to say, Hey man, I got, I got these eight lamentations I want to get my hands on this spear specifically, and you lot are going to go find it for me. So everybody's like, yeah, sure. For their own internal reasons, they're, they're on board. So the point is, is this, so then how, how do we find it? Where do we go from here? So we've mentioned before, um, Owain Volker's got this, this dwarf, uh, mentor. mentor who actually all this time has been under sort of, uh, um, employee or he's been working for him for this whole time and he'd already been sent off to go look for it. So the best course of action maybe is to follow his trail. Um, so, they know where he went and they need to sort of follow, uh, follow where, where follow his path, right? And so to do so, they end up having to hitch a ride um, on a Karadran uh, ship, boat. I don't know what they're called. Davey would be my guy to tell me. Do they, do they call them boats, Davey? Boats. boats. Yeah, ships, sky vessels, whatever. Sure. <laughs> no, it is <laughs> not a boat. Davey, no. you have to in a specific way. <clears throat> it is not a boat. It is not a boat. It's a it's ship. Just, it's a ship. <laughs> Something. Um, and they didn't anybody to stop me when you want to chime in on any of this stuff. Um, but so they 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 are they're going to try and hitch a ride. How do they do that? Well, fortunately, we have this this roster of characters now in our group who have their own connections and they they know different people and they have their own skills. So we're relying on what's her name, Zana. Yeah, Zana Mathos, who is that sellsword? She's got those connections we talked about before. She knows people. She's worldly. So she knows a particular captain, Captain Bront, who I believe we brought up earlier, um, who owes her a favor. And he's going to take the group to sort of follow the trail of this, this Oaken, uh, specifically to Aaron's handing it off to someone else. The Crawling City? Yeah, the Crawling City. What is its name? Shugal. Shoe something. Shugal. Yeah, that's better. Is that, or is that Naoka's last name? I don't know. Oh, it's all the same. That's a Shugol, the crawling city. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the things that's what we see early on is, I mean, certainly um, Volker is kind of overwhelmed a little bit, like, hey, a god is speaking to me, right? And there's this thing. But what really kind of brings him to earth is is that it's he's going to find Oaken. Yeah. He's going to find out what's happened to him. He's not, <clears throat> yes, he's supposed to go, uh, you know, find the spear, but even towards the end of the book, like he has to be reminded he's not here to save Oaken, but that's what grounds him. And I think that's what people see in him too, is that amidst all of this epicness, what he cares about is his friends. Uh, he's, he shows loyalty to his friend. And then I think, uh, you know, when they get to the crawling city, as you said, there's a couple of moments there that really kind of show that to the group as well. Um, so yeah, we get to, to Shulgul and, uh, is there is there a great king show up? Does he show up before Shogol? Uh he is he has a kind of a, a cameo. cameo appearance, as it were. Gotcha. Okay. Well, like, I, oh, here's the thing. There's this thing here. We'll 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 talk about him as we get to the because that's the, the more important one, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, but they do meet the great king, and we'll tell you who the great king is uh, in a little bit. 
after this commercial break. See ya. <laughs> we right back. <laughs> so uh, we get to the crawling city, and like I said, um, pretty fantastic setting in that um, one, it's a moving city, so this, the landscape's always changing. It's always eating stuff in its gullet. So when you go down there, you're always meeting a new civilization or the ruins of a new, a different civilization. We're just um, dirt, like sometimes. We're just dirt. And, and the alienness <laughs> of the structures there, like there's at one point where like a table has been fashioned out of like the the hairs of a worm. And so it's flexible. Like, so like just, there's a ton of like just alienness to it. Uh, but the, but it shows how it's integrated, these people's lives integrated into it, which is really cool. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about as far as the city itself we already talked about but the the things that happened there they have to what was the last place this was the last place they saw Oaken yeah what was he doing there did, did he find the book I honestly can't remember uh, so they have this book um, in, in this library the library of for the worm I don't know I'm sure it had a name um, and they, they the book apparently uh, describes basically their next destination that they have to have to go to right so it's a it's a fire slayer book fortunately we happen to have a fire fire slayer in our group who can read um the the, the dead language um or he has to translate it in some capacity um but that was sort of the the next clue as to where we needed to go next um as as it goes in stories like this oh there's a clash between the good guys and the bad guys who happened to uh, meet them in the same place they had some either they followed them I think it's, it's how they've, uh, the, the Zinchian Yudak. Yep. Uh, yeah. 99 the, feathers. the 99 feathers. Yep, exactly. So they, they've followed them there. Um, there is a short scuffle, which sort of just proves to both sides that they're on the right track, right? If you, if you have, find your adversary there, you're, you're, you must be doing something right. Yeah. Um, but they're able to uh, eke out a victory and, and come away with this book, which sort of leads them. It's the next clue as to where they need to go next to try and find, find their spear. Yeah, and uh, Adima or yeah, Adima comes out of the shadows and, oh, yeah. and kind of helps in this case. And this is like the first place where Volker kind of speaks up in basically and thinks of her, kind of stops anything harm from coming to her. Kind of, he just kind of speaks out. Sure. Um, and I think this is one of those places where everyone's saying, you know, like he's the young guy, but there's a bit of there's a bit of wisdom there. There's a bit of of pragmatism that that you want. In this kind of situation, he's not cowering. He's not, uh, you know, uh, withering in this uh, in this scene. And even those who he's seeing the po possibilities of allies where most might not. Sure. Um, well, and even if the, well, even if the group disagrees with them, um, they're, they're still willing to go along with what he what he's doing because they respect already at this point they're starting to respect his decisions. Mm. It's also yeah. a bit of a Manfred syndrome. Like AOS in general has a bit of this like Manfred syndrome of like. Vampires are bad, but not all the time. We can work with them. We can make this work, right? <clears throat> it's the whole, uh, we Manfred have this whole alliance. Bad, what? Manfred ended up being bad. They were right. Yeah, but <laughs> the whole idea that the death and the order it can kind of mix together. And, yep. you know, it, so it, it, it was an interesting dynamic. And we almost have this third party, as it were, entering in. So there's the good guys, the bad guys, and the... Not good guy, not bad guy, kind of both right More now. gray area. Yeah. Well, I like to live. Well, and I think that's AOS. I mean, from the beginning, we knew that there was a, an alliance between everybody versus chaos. And so we're piecing some of that back together. We're seeing some of those relationships kind of form again, right? I mean, um, this could this could be a groundwork for 
you know, work between Neferata and Grugni, you know, like that sort of thing. Well, I also um, really liked when Ahima was climbing up the side of the the worm and they were talking about other watchtowers and there were spotlights and like, you know, almost like a prisoner of prisoner of war camp. Like I got a little security going on and it's just to get into the city. Um, it, it was a really interesting and like kind of jarring moment of being like, Oh, this is, this is definitely different. Well, I, th I think it was one of the, one of the touches that makes it feel a little more lived in is, uh, is that, you know, they, the inhabitants of the worm city have been living in this city and have thought about the possibility that somebody might just run up to it and climb up the side to try and sneak in. Uh, and so they need to have these, these uh, precarious watchtowers and guard systems perched on the outside. So, uh, yeah, because they had, in fact, I think Skaven had overrun them at, at one point, and so this was they swore not to let that happen again. Um, there's an interesting role of technology in this book um, that is interesting, um, and I don't know if it, you know this is a, something we could touch on in a theme down the road too, but just to put a pin in that um, uh, for later. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think this is a point in which the kind of the team kind of gels a little bit. They've gotten to their first scrap and seen, you know, uh, what what each other's metal is made of um, and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, and then they they negotiate to get back on board uh, the the ship, the Caradron ship, Zank, and and head over to uh, Forest of Gorch. Gorch, <clears throat> that's what you name a forest. Mm -hmm. uh, and as they go over there, so this is this is one of those um, this is one of those first times again. If we're talking about Volker too, there's a, I, there's a, a lot of cool development for everybody. This is a part two where we really kind of get a sense of what he's capable of as well. So what happens? Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the, the big king. Is it big king? Great king? Great, great king. king? Great uh, king, Aaron. He seems great. Uh, so they're, they're who that? <laughs> who that? Who that? Uh, it's. They're, they're flying, they're, they got their heading, they're, they're heading to this, this mighty force that they can see off in the distance. Lo and behold, they're beset, they're, they're attacked by the Great King, which is a, not only a megalophon, but I, I think probably the biggest of all the megalophons, maybe even the king of meg um, Am I saying that right? Megal megalophons? Anyway, so it's this uh, aerial shark beast looking thing, but it, it's, it's, let's say it's big. It's, it's a large, large creature. Well, it's it's that picture in the KO book where there's a uh, an Arcanaut standing next to the huge beast, right? Like that's the idea. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They they slaughtered, they harpooned the sky whale, as it were. Yeah, the megalophon. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I think I think that that yeah I think that picture is right out of this book, uh, or well, <laughs> it is exactly what I drew upon, and I I did not expect that thing to be in here, like uh, the giant shark to end all sky sharks. Um, which is really cool. Um, um, but the reason that that's even important, though, is because it's actually being, mm, I'm not going to say controlled, but uh, ridden or, or done by, by one of our... Influenced. Um, yes, by uh, Udak, who is, is riding at Cowboy style. Um, if Cowboys ride Sky Sharks, um, egging it on, sort of sicking it upon the, uh, the Karajan ship. I mean boat, I mean ship. Sky <laughs> vessel. Sky vessel. That's what I meant. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, this is a, another. I think a prime example. Another example of maybe not um, of Volker not not so much earning 
respect from everybody that I reckon they respect this, but sort of showing his capabilities when he's able to. Um, yeah, I think he shows to us, the reader. Yes, um, exactly. And, and and the scene actually ends like, so everyone's like, get down, get down below, or, you know, trying rushing. And he's just sitting there trying to like, he's trying to tune everything out. He's been using his sights um, uh, and, you know, just been honing in. He's the one who discovers that there's the sorcerer on top of that. He just sees through the, the witch fire, all that kind of stuff, all the kind of glowiness of him, uh, and and picks out the the kind of the man behind the the, the mystic, um, and uh, and takes a shot. Uh, and this this ended this the chapter ends. He takes the shot and uh, you know gets basically the 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 megalophin totally like you know knocks the ship over with its tail or something to that effect, and just sends it careening. Um, uh, creating down into the forest uh, canopy. Into the spider webs. <laughs> um, but I, it was it was really So they had also, um, yeah, so I thought that was a, a really cool battle, sky battle, um, that again, I wasn't expecting from this book, took us to a place uh, that we all want to go. Like since the KO have come out, we've wanted that battle. And this book gave it to us. Um, and in in, had some just really cool scenes that struggle between uh, Udak and the and the beast, and kind of how he talks about this beast who has this uh, you know may have you know again the, the the myths of may have been around before you know the gods were kind of thing you know like they're just so big, so massive or whatever, and he's just force of wills controlling this thing, uh, surfing on it, etc. Uh, there you go, Vince Ventrella. Um, <laughs> uh, and and so I mean and and then just yeah the way the crew's uh, reacting and interacting and um, that sort of stuff's really just I don't know it's the stuff that is if I as a kid I would have eaten that up like crazy and as an adult I am as well. Sure, nothing's changed whatsoever. <laughs> we finished the book; it had to be good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we get down to the canopy. the The ship has been uh, beat up. Yeah, they <laughs> go through the. It doesn't just. Yeah. Uh, they get into the forest. Um, they see spider webs everywhere. They um, fight off some spiders. Um, Find nothing to worry about, though, right? Spider webs. Yeah, like no, a little bit of spider. Uh, they get, they get and they find kind of the the formations and things that the the Dwarden have had done to kind of integrate with the with the it's, forest. It's a really cool idea, right? Like that they're actually. Hall. They're actually able to shape the trees, as it were. I don't know if it's necessarily they're like controlling the growth or not. I think they described it as more of like using heat to discourage growth and to, you know, like create holes, create holds, as it were. Um, it, it was a really cool idea that definitely had never crossed my mind before. Of well, what do you do if you don't have rock? What do you do if you don't have stone? steel whatever all right well i guess we got to make it out of stone or make it out of uh, trees as it were uh, so it was a really cool idea but then it was far more than just like we're gonna make a keep or a castle here right we're gonna make a lodge it's like you know, we got these roads coming in from here and we've got these roads coming in from here and all these different levels and it, it was far more of like creating a city than just a lodge so it, it i thought it was a really cool um, execution of the idea and at the same time because Rogan 
with his wooden armor, with his wooden sword. They're describing how they make the sword. They're describing all this kind of, uh, I don't know, details of his character. It makes this setting, right, the Forest of Gorch being a lodge, far more believable because they've talked about how they can use and manipulate this material in a different way because of their uh, their allegiance with Alariel. Yeah. Well, they talked a little bit about how the character of the Duarden are that they're so, um, they have such an impact on the world around them that the, that the world changes, mm -hmm. whatever environment they're in, that it changes. I'm a little upset that like we have these Duarden coming in though and taking, taking my wood elf jobs, uh, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, they're sort of getting pushed out to the, Periphery, yeah. Well, make great right. again, yeah. right? <laughs> like there, there, there are. No you made it real, Eric. <laughs> there are no elves. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what it is. It's because we just don't have many elves. Well, it, it's interesting because yeah, I mean, we had free people. Uh, I mean, uh, Rogan is free people. You know, forest dweller. Uh, we got fire slayers, forest dwellers. I mean, what makes uh, wanderers unique anymore? <laughs> it's just yeah. I might just throw my elves away. <laughs> I've always said that. <laughs> um, so they they make it further in. They hear uh, partway through. They hear drums. They got uh, you know goblins. Uh, you know that sort of stuff. Big kind of war march. Grots. Um, sorry, uh, the grots. They get to this kind of the center. Um, and they find the heartwood uh, tree. Um, and they see a, a bunch more stuff there. They get into a fight with a, a gargant, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, I mean, as they get to that heartwood tree, is there anything that really jumped out at you guys um, that was kind of unique and, and worth mentioning? Where does the gargant come from? Like, I guess that was, I mean, that seemed a lot surprising. I like that it was I, there. I think he started down below oh, and gotcha. he climbed up. Okay. I have nothing um, else to there, say about that. I was just oh, guardian, yeah. guardian. Whoops. There's a couple. Of, I, I had to read that part a couple of times as well. Yeah, and this is they're finding uh, evidence that uh, on top of the wiping out of the lodge that was there, um, something you know, there's been some other kind of fight. They start to figure out that um, Skaven, likely judging by the you know, scorching and all that sort of thing, so somehow Skaven and the Grots have been at war with each other more recently. Um, yeah. Which, nope. what's that? Yeah, well, it's to their advantage to some degree because it, it gives them a um, maybe some cover to to sneak in, yeah. and also possibly some hope that uh, Oaken and his crew might have been able to slip in through all that mayhem. Sure. Um, so, simultaneously, more opportunity and greater danger. Um, uh, also, what I definitely got the feeling of was that it was the slow decimation, right, of this lodge. And they're slowly being killed and slowly being killed because the the spider fang aren't quite an overwhelming force. They're more of just like a wearing down, right? So you have this slow battle. The slow battle is the the fire slayers are slowly being eliminated, but at the same time they're wearing down the strength of the spider fang. And then the idea is that the skaven have come in and taken advantage of this long drawn out fight to be able to come in and do some quick damage, right? It it's the classic oh. uh, three-player game situation where the two two folks fight, and then uh, somebody named Eric swoops in later and, and cleans up. Or yeah, and, then, and then the fourth party comes in like three minutes too late. <laughs> sure, true. Um, totally balanced. 
just real quick, just leading up to this, you get a real like Minds of Moria vibe, right? Like. You're, you're coming looking for this group of uh, dwarves and wolves. Down, down, down the goblin, down, down, down the goblin, down. Fly you from I like the, uh, the treasure hold in the very center of the heartwood. They're talking about the, the fire slayer hanging the treasure from the chain so they can cut it. Uh, uh, that was a really oh, yeah. cool, that was super uh, rad. Yeah. interesting. Um, just detail as it were so basically because it is their treasure right and they don't want it to be stolen if their lodge does get destroyed they've hung it they've suspended it in the middle of a large chamber and they've gotten to the last few left and so they decided that they're going to cut it so that no one will get it if they can't have it no one else will get it what happens when they cut the chain it uh, i believe it falls down into the arachnarok rest yeah. if i'm not mistaken um, so so what had happened though is so when the the Grotz had Spiderfang had taken over had fought the dwarf and had killed them to the man, mm -hmm. uh, the spear was still in that hold, yeah. uh, but uh, and uh, well so yeah the the Dwarden had cut the lines all their treasure fell down into this pit uh, mm -hmm. along with the spear um, and the Spiderfang knew that it was something to be revered and so they put up all those pikes with Dwarden head facing it as oh, kind yeah. of a way of yeah, the dead to, cool. to protect them from this. Yeah. And they stuck an Arachnarok down there to mm -hmm. basically protect them from anything evil coming that way. Cause they knew that the spear was going to call somebody to come and retrieve it, who was going to be a great fighter and they needed yeah. to try and ward it off. And so that's, there's some superstition there. Um, and so that's, that's the why, how, what of, of that kind of, the spider fang civilization around this vault and around that uh, spear. And uh, what happened is the Skaven came in by land and by tunnel. Um, they had, uh, uh, you know, this big machine that we'll talk about a little bit, but, uh, and then uh, they tunneled up through the ground through the vault and were, were able to uh, actually grab the spear that way. Um, so I have to say, this is my major disappointment. Is we get into like the chapters were labeled like the curse of the spider god, and you're like, okay, you've got some goblins that are on spiders, and then you're like the layer of the arachnarok, and there's an arachnarok, but he's already like heavily damaged, and I'm like, where's the like awesome spider fang army, and it just wasn't there because it had already been. I asked myself worn down all the defeated. time where the awesome spider fang army is. What? <laughs> just joking. Um, <laughs> Well, I so think that's we, how, how it had to be. That was how it was believable, I think, that Volker and, and Lugash yeah, were able it, to take out Arachnarok, right? Um, and in the end, it raked tons of hell before it ended up dying. So, um, but you, uh, you touched on something else, actually, though, but the fact that the, the, the spider god actually is a real presence here, too, right? Like, that's something, when you want to talk about stuff that maybe we, we learned that we didn't know um about the world like i didn't actually understand that the spider god was like a real like presence or you know had a real you know a force in the world um yeah so there's like a little bit of detail in the grand alliance book uh and basically the the spider god is a huge arachnarok that bit gork or mork's toe they don't know which and gained a huge amount of inf uh, gained a portion of his power as it were so in the previous world the spider god was actually just like an embodiment or a belief and in this world it actually is a physical thing it's mm. a physical spider so 
Um, and yeah, it's pretty cool. It was pretty cool too. Yeah. yeah no, so, I, I, I like that. I, I was a little disappointed there wasn't any huge battle, but like you said, it makes it far more believable. Uh, and also, in the end, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just uh, and in the end, they're able to finally find some of the actual Fire Slayer bodies, as it were, with green beards, green hair, uh, and then also they're able to find Oaken wrapped yep. up within the spider webs. So they find Oaken, they bring him back up. Uh, so this is where we, they find out that the Skaven have the uh, the spear, and uh, they have to get out of there. Um, they do have a yeah. There's more confrontations, all that kind of stuff, but they have to make it uh, back. And they realize that uh, so they've got to track it down. And this the, the Skaven have this huge machine, like like Ferris wheel, Doom wheel kind of thing, uh, and it's left just like marks through the forest. Like it's easy to track. Uh, they make some fun comments about how sneaky and sly they are, and at the same time, just uh, you know, obvious. Yeah, telegraphing uh, their, their every move that they did. Yep. Yeah. Made. I I love the fact that like though it, it's mentioned, even if there's like a mega wheel that they've got, they put it, took it into the heart of this uh, heartwood, and now it's infested with spiders all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so it's acting up. It's not. So they have to actually park it. Uh, at this uh, this place, in order to kind of de-infest it, um, uh, and uh, yeah, yep, at, at Lion Craig, um, and you know, it's at this point basically where all the other forces, so uh, they get back onto the Ko ship, uh, yeah. they're able to kind of follow along. Um, Kel finally catches up. Yep, Kel catches up. Uh, Uduk is able to it kind of partners with him. Mm. Uh, to go after it, uh, et cetera. And so they work together with the 99 Feathers. And then, of course, the um, whole Skaven army is actually there at Lion Craig as well. Yep, yep. Uh, and so there's a pretty cool battle. I don't want to go, again, don't want to go blow by blow, but they're uh, kind of able to uh, take them from a couple different sides. Uh, the the Kel and uh, Uduk are already attacking them. So there's like three different kind of attack from three sides. The Skaven end up, you know, like peeling out on uh, that sort of stuff. Like you want but, to see, uh, like a you want to see the the movie or like the scene of this battle, right? Because you know, a good choreographer would be able to like align this real. Because you got the three sides, the good, you know, the the order fighting against both chaos, and they're they're summoning demons left and right and fighting the Skaven at the same time. But then chaos is also anti, you know, fighting both sides as well. So you can see sort of a lot of warring, you know, fighting to a variety of different enemies who were, you know at your neck. So it, it really painted a great, for me anyway, a great scene of sort of sort of a mass confusion, a uh, bunch of different vantage points, uh, a, a, a battlefield scene that you don't see, you don't get when you're dealing just with two different, you know, two different sides fighting each other. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, well, I love that even Lion Craig, which is this little incidental, this is the place where the battle is, has this previous history. It's called Lion Craig because of this previous history. and. And now they're here, but like every place that we've been has this previous history, right? The Fire Slayer Lodge has been taken over by the Spider Fang. The the Shugol, the, the the worm has been taken over. Everything has been taken over. And even like the incidental, like this is a really cool place. This is amazing. Yeah, but it used to be something else, and this is what happened, and now we have this, right? Every place has a history to it, instead of just being they fought a the play the battle here because this is where the army showed up. 
don't they know the realms are infinite? Like, go find another rock, man. Like, geez. <laughs> the so um, kind of one of the culmination then of the story. Um, and there, I mean, there's some cool stuff in here with uh, Nyoka is able to kind of like channel Sigmar um, and uh, do uh, Sagmar, 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 and, uh, and uh, <laughs> able to go in and do some damage to to Yudak. Um, and uh, but the feathers come in and spoil that a little bit. Um, uh, Rogard on Harrow had kind of had a moment in the in Gorch where we thought he was lost, um, but you know he's able to. He's kind of uh, comes in to, to rescue her, and then uh, there's a moment where um, Edhema is kind of comes and say, you know, I kind of admire Roger, uh, Rogan, so I'm gonna you know go and help him out. So there's there's a couple of connection pieces there. She owed him a favor, actually, like she yeah. saved her life earlier. That's how she justifies it, you know. But you know. Um, Zana and uh, Lugash and Volker jump into the wheel. Um, the Kel had come up underneath the wheel, kind of gotten into the wheel another way, and so there's a big confrontation inside the wheel. Why is there? Why would people want to go inside the wheel, guys? What's well, happening? I don't know how big inside the wheel is like? Yeah. It's like it's like the Death Star, right? Like, like all these hallways running around. Well, it's the central core, and yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I would I would put Ferris wheel over Death Star size. <laughs> well, with the uh, typical Skaven ingenuity, they figured out like if this uh, if this spear can get hurled and then uh, it, it can you know pass through realms and walls and whatever to get wherever it needs to go. They're like, what if we built a war machine around it and basically like throw it and then hang on to it with our war machine? <laughs> like, I love that. I like love chains. That. <laughs> like there's literally chains around it. Oh, can't go yeah. anywhere. Classic Skaven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's the the big idea uh, by Quell is uh, what would you what would it be like a interdimensional musket ball? <laughs> it's like punching holes, punching holes, gerbil wheel. Um, yeah. So so they they're kind of in the in the middle and and finally I mean uh, and oh, I keep wanting to I keep on the Kel but uh, uh, a Hazian. Uh, so I mean he's throughout the story has kind of conquered everything that's thrown at him in different ways. Like he's not just like, yeah, it's ax, hammer, kill, kill, kill. But it, his thought process, the way he goes through it, all that kind of stuff has been interesting all along the way. Uh, and now he's finally for the first time. So it's interesting because they cross paths, like the main group and uh, Asian have crossed paths. They've been in the same places, but this is the first time that they've met each other. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this, you know, basically um, Lugash goes in to kind of do some stuff and, and try and go one-to-one, -one and you're like, maybe a Doomseeker could take out a Deathbringer. Uh, yeah, but is this that, guy is just... I don't, really know. I don't know the rules well enough. I, I, I don't know that either. Uh, <laughs> but in this story, they've certainly uh, be, you know built Azian up to be, sure. you know, a best-of-the-best kind of guy. Um, and, uh, and then... Um, uh, Zana goes in to try and kind of do some stuff, and he just, you know, he's, um, you know, stabbing her and 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 pushing her around and, and hitting her and stuff, and she's not really stand up to it. Uh, but they're you should all be writer, Eric. You should you should yeah. write that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then and and of course Volker is trying to shoot him. Um, and the first time he misses, and then 
uh, is able to get. Um, so there's a scene then where um, uh, Hazian? Hazian? Hazian, uh, Hazian uh, gets the spear. And he's like, you know, now I've got it. It's mine. And he's like, what did you call him? The guy with the, the gun? And he whispers his name to the, or yells his name to the spear and chucks it, you know, just kind of basically lets it go, I think. Uh, yeah, and it's, now, did, did anyone totally follow this? Like, time slows nope. down. And at first I thought it was like, oh, man, like time slowing down. But I think it was like the spear gloating, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, he was a little full of himself, himself being the spear in the like, situation. Oh, man, I haven't. I haven't killed anything in a thousand years. Like this, is, I'm gonna savor this delicious moment. Okay. And so it slows it way down, which uh, gives Volker the chance to dodge. So, well, and, well, and he's he he makes a shot, but yeah, he's oh, he's yeah. experiencing it, right? He's yeah. well, he's in it. It's not like yeah, it isn't like just slow time. Like he's experiencing, like I can't do what I need to do. Yeah. Well, but I think it's also um, Josh Reynolds has pointed out before that the realms have different times. Right, like so, um, being in the realm of beasts, they're talking about how the nights are longer, right? So, if you have something that's passing through an interdimensional portal, which is really what that inside of that that mega wheel is supposed to be, I think it's like the whole idea of being a paradox, right? So, even though it's just from here to there, right? it's actually traveling through this interdimensional portal that's meant to propel this mega wheel throughout the whole thing. And so I think it's literally going through all the realms to try and kill him, as it were. And that's what gives him the time, is the shifting of going through all these different realms. Well, I, I hear what you're saying, but at the end of the day, the, the hero just dodged the spear that was thrown at him, the super uh, ultra mega spear that was thrown at him. And that's my one complaint of this whole book is what if that all I have to do is dodge the spear? Okay, why did no one try that? It was gonna kill him the first time, did it? Anywhere in this book did it say the spear is gonna kill him the first time it saw him? I, I just I guess that was assumed. Well, and that's and, and I I could because it was slow. I mean, yeah, I mean, I couldn't tell. I, I've got to reread this part. Um, but uh, does he does he redirect it somehow? Does he grab hold of it? No. Well, how does he get it to go into the? It it he dodges it, the spear goes past him and then like heat seeking missile style turns around comes back for him like screaming and you know like I'm coming to get you and then the center That's of this skin, yeah. Yeah, uh, center of this skin, <laughs> uh, machine has this weird you know rift and he this thing gets damaged Volker jumps into it and basically the spear overshoots him just like what happened to uh, Galmaraz right like it gets uh, tricked yeah, into yeah. another realm. Um, early on so you got a little bit of a parallel there so spear ends up in some uh not just in another realm but like in the void between realms between but that's still not yeah. stopping it right because uh, yep. that the, the wrap-up like what what's cool is again we talked about how this is this is really just something pretending to be a spear you know it's something far worse yeah. uh, as soon as it's thrown at him like he feels something tear loose inside him and now he's got uh so spear goes off somewhere another another realm but it's still it's still coming after him wherever it is it turned around and it's coming back at him uh and he knows like he's he's having nightmares of, of uh this thing chasing him like those so past this time period uh into the future he's yeah exactly in the in the, in the next days as he's recovering um yeah uh to to just kind of wrap up they, they he does 
put a bullet in Hazian's eyeball, uh, smashing that to pieces. Doesn't stop him, yeah. no. But uh, he's. <laughs> I think that allows them to escape and get out of there. Um, Can I just point but, out uh, my yeah. my favorite moment is when the quell is it. Um, yeah. He pulls the ejection seat. It goes <laughs> flying up, and he's like, "Oh, okay, it's all good. We're good. We're all fine." And then, like, one raven lands on his shoulder, and more <laughs> ravens show up. And then he doesn't say what happened, but like, obviously, right. Quell ends up getting, you know, killed by the 99 feathers, but uh, it, it was just a great, like, you know, I don't know, joke. Play it. it was- yeah. But, uh, uh, go yeah. ahead. No, I was just gonna, do so yeah, the recovery, and he's seeing nightmares, and so what is, uh, so, how do they take care of that? Grungni, you know, there's there's no escaping this spear, right? So Grungni, but Grungni does come up with a solution, kind of clever, clever god that he is. Um, it's a it's a disguising rune that basically uh, makes him makes his location uncertain. Like whatever whatever realm he's in, the spear then thinks he's in a different realm. So it's always going to be switches the sim card. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, but even Volker's like, this rune doesn't last forever, does it? And Grungni's like, mm, no. Nope. <laughs> To be fair, I'm going to give you a lot of dangerous jobs, so you might die before that. Yeah, uh, we're going to the, the, go ahead, Aaron. Um, you go. Get into fan fan fiction here, but what, honestly, what they should do is like have Volker take one for the team, take the rune out, have him take it in the chest with the the spear, have Sigmar reforge him, and oh, what do you know? Now we have a sweet S spear. Like, yeah, problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> <Nailed> it. <Man. laughs> so right. well, but the consequences and the and the result of that then is that the spear can't find him to kill him. But while he's in pursuit, he can't be uh, uh, owned by anybody. Nobody can claim him, right. uh, the spear. And so he's that spear is out of play for right now, uh, right. which isn't ideal. That's not what any one party was looking for, but in, in all, all things considered. Next best thing. Yeah. Next best thing. Um, and I, I, I really liked that play because I think it certainly... Yeah. If this continues, it's certainly going to come into play some point. There's got to be some caper or like plan that, just as you said, Aaron, that 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 could happen. Sure, wait um, until he's an old man and then be like, "Great, call so it a day." Why don't we talk if, um, about a few? Um, let's start with maybe predictions. Where do you think that this story could go, um, Paul? You said you had, uh, you know, from from Josh Reynolds himself. Uh, on Combat Phase uh, podcast, shared a little bit of what what the next story could be. Yeah. Do we want to make predictions before I reveal that or after? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, any of you guys want to take a stab? Well, I don't, not so much a prediction, but let's, we can just talk about like what, what we've got. So basically, everybody's still alive. Like All the major players are still major players. And if they had motivations before, you better believe they got motivations now, right? So uh, the, I reckon I'll call them the party is still... I think in Grungni's um, employ and yeah. the, the next, whatever the next lamentation is, or all of them are, are still on the table. So by no means are they done searching or looking. Um, we've given the chaos players uh, plenty of reason to um, have, you know, have chips on their shoulders. So I reckon there, there's going to be some revenge play in there as well. Um, and we've got Adima, who I admittedly was part of the party for a while, um, still on, uh, Still, still has the job of finding, you know, uh, limitations as well as we find uh, through their her communication with Neferata. Um, she so she's still on the hunt. Um, so she's gonna stick with them. 
And see yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, now whether or not what, what sticking with them ends up looking like, who knows? But um, I think, yeah, it's sort of a natural continuation of where we're at right now, which is not a drastic prediction by any means. Yeah, I think um, I think we're going to see some moments where some of them, uh, I, you know, like uh, there's a moment where Adima says that she would really love to see a whole unit of Rogans, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. what they could do. Sure. Uh, and so I think we, we, maybe not right away, but I can see this being something where we start, again, pulling different, we've got individuals from different places coming together. I think we could there's easily a, pla a place or a point where you could have larger factions coming together because of the relationships that are happening with these groups uh, or with these with these people. So you could see, you know, a, a unit of demigriff uh, knights from Garan uh, and um, some blood knights uh, from Shyish, um, you know, fighting next to each other in some battle, um, you know. Blah, blah, blah. So I think there could be some some really cool stuff like that happening. Have the individuals end up being representative of larger uh, holes, yeah. which would be great. Yeah. I mean, you think of like the, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings. You know, it starts off with individuals, but they rally yeah, nations. Exactly. Sure. Well, small time friendships ends up being the starting point for larger alliances. Yeah. Oh, right on. I get and uh, charm bracelets. I think they all get charm bracelets. Sure. Sure. Perfect. <laughs> Anybody else got any predictions or? thoughts on where I might go uh, any I'm romances wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering if the, <laughs> the soul lash which we saw in the auction of blood that's I think that ended up in the hands of uh, of um, the death right um, yeah Neferata's so agent got Nefer it Neferata got a hold of that uh, in some way so it's possible I mean spoilers sorry I don't know if we were supposed to say that but <laughs> And we said spoilers like 700 times already. Well, I'm sure um, for this. I mean, it's a, okay, whatever. I got you. <laughs> anyway, that, that might, that's a possible way to go, uh, particularly since that could tie in with the resurgence of Nagash, who's definitely scheming and plotting and uh, getting ready to make his move here. I think we'll see something from the realm of death um, before we see something about shadow and light, maybe. Um, but anyway, that, that, would, uh, that could coincide with that uh, push on the bigger AOS front, possibly. Anybody else? Do you want to read that then, uh, Paul? Uh, well, uh, basically what the pitch for the next book is that it's instead of being a rollicking adventure film, and we should it's going to be a heist film. film. Oh. Yeah, so this is combat phase, sorry. Uh, Kenny Lowe uh, had Josh Reynolds on, and he was saying the, the pitch for the next book is that instead of being a rollicking adventure film, it's going to be a heist film. Nice. So, I'd, read that. I'd read that book that would be amazing right like so everybody go out and buy this book so we can get that book as well because number one everybody loved this book so number two we need a, an aos heist film like i mean i got I, it for I, you too there's a yeah. one of the eight lamentations is in the worm and what? it's moving at like nine miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> i can't go faster if uh, no one has to like if no one has to navigate like a, a, a laser like security system then i feel like that's a pretty big missed opportunity yeah but only if Catherine zeta jones is in it otherwise you know and not that bothered dima or zana or whoever <laughs> cool i'm into that um uh, go ahead 
Oh, I was gonna see uh, one suggestion. You want to go around the around the horn here, and people throw out a, a favorite moment and why from the from the whole book, like an iconic moment or theme or something, something that you really took away from this book. We'll go, Eric. Lay it on us. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal the the sky battle uh, was one of my favorites. Um, just that that when I saw the KO book, that uh, Megalofin was probably the most striking kind of idea thing and as i'm uh you know for my next army planning out uh this the display board with a giant fish um yeah. battle you know like this that's definitely probably a highlight of the book uh it was such a joy and to, to play in and to think around and um uh it, and it, it definitely rewarded uh the read i i like there was there was definitely like a, a moby dick feel to it right like the the um the overlords, Captain Bront knew this creature. Obviously, it was behaving in a different way, but they, you know, it was it was a known and super dangerous threat. You just got to feel for like how those work because there's that big swarm of gun haulers comes out of the clouds, and you know, yeah, that was that was super fun. He was all like, "I, I knew it'd be back. I knew it'd be back." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody uh, else? Aaron, what do you got? Um, I, I mean, we talked about it, but I, I did sort of like. Uh, just sort of, uh, I keep saying sort of, um, the the discovery and the the moving through the what's the the forest name the the, the heartwood but it's gorsh 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 um gorsh. yeah so when I say the the my, I referenced before the the mines of Moria field like that's exactly how I felt and I you know I was on edge like I was like oh I mean obviously you knew it was gonna be spiders and and goblin riders because there's only so many things that it could have been but um even so the the unknown and sort of discovering this abandoned um you know uh, lodge or whatever you want to call it um i really really enjoyed and i was only joking about being bumped about bumped out about having sort of the wood elves job supplanted a little bit but that is those sort of environments and those sort of settings um, are what originally drew me to the wanderers and so that regardless of who who created it dwarfs or otherwise um, I, I still liked that setting that environment and sort of the, the running up and down the, the the wood roads and what have you so i, I was really into that I think it would be hella cool to see somebody do the Root Kings or you know mm -hmm. the Fire Slayer Lodge from a you know sure. explore that area. That'd be that'd be super rad. So. I, I agree, well, and I like the idea of um, so you're having the, the Fire Slayers with like the green hair and so on and so forth. Um, maybe not that specifically, but the idea that like they're they're I don't know lending credibility. I guess you you would put it uh, that you know any different color scheme that you would give to your dwarves or any other army there's a way to sort of justify it and create a whole mythos around why they would be that way um, yep. in, in sort of an official way. Paul? Um, I actually really liked the Liberius Wormicus, I think it was. Vermis. Vermis. Yeah. Um, S-74 in Clan Pestilence. <laughs> yeah, they uh, the the ninety nine feathers showed up. Like I just thought that was such a cool entrance and such a cool uh, idea for a force, um, especially when they started transforming and and the like the description etc. It just it seemed really cool, and the fact that like as I kind of said they were a bit nameless, and then they took some casualties, but they weren't obliterated. Right, like they were the only force in this book that actually had people die but you know the character itself was not impacted as it were right yeah so which i will say i, I didn't mention before it it was one thing that bothered me is i i kind of suspected at the outset I, I was like 
think every one of these characters just about is gonna is gonna live through like i, I think it's one of those things where like uh i i felt like maybe there wasn't a great risk to some of the characters for aquatic just because i i was I, I felt certain that um you know volker was gonna live through you know the whole thing even even the uh even Asian, i was like i feel like this guy's gonna you know i thought rogan was it. gonna die yeah yeah uh, yeah i was I don't know. I but then and then none of them did. And there, again, that was my complaint with Plague Garden was that uh, the, the heroes didn't seem to pay any of a price. I'm sure the people who lost hands and eyes and stuff would disagree about not having paid the price <laughs> and stuff. But it was the same thing where it's like the, the heroes kind of got through without without paying any like real big cost. Um, yeah, and and I, we but, we can't really feel the cost unless we care about somebody, right? Right. Sure. Otherwise, it's just yeah, you know. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, and so I think he did a good job making us care a lot about the characters, and uh, and and I don't want to be cheap. Like you don't you don't just gotta you know kill people for giggles or whatever. Um, but uh, who giggles to, when they kill someone? I need to believe that uh, that there's that there's a, a risk <laughs> or, or a threat. And after after a couple of books where where that hasn't happened, I it, it starts to dilute some of the. Um, the tension of uh, of whether something's at risk, you know. I I agree with you, but then also this is a trilogy too, and maybe it takes the the final, or it's supposed to be a trilogy, right? So like maybe it takes the final book before we're actually going to see a real loss. But that's fair. Who knows? Or I mean, it's always Empire Strikes Back style, right? Like second one, second sure, sure. stuff can happen. So yeah, I, I did feel like Nioka actually did take some serious damage, though. Yep. Yeah, I'm not saying they didn't last, take that though. Yeah. I'm saying like they, they she lost an eye, right? Um, there's people people took damage. I just I, yeah. I thought uh, well, and people, yeah. So that's interesting too. An idea though is because then um, Yarduck took her eye and is now able to spy on them. So there is a certainly a cost. Oh yeah, maybe different rad. different than yeah. death. Um, yeah. I thought she was gonna die too. I thought there was a moment where she could have because she was just getting beaten uh, pretty bad with her red mask. Um, yeah. You know, so so there's definitely a couple of opportunities that would have, like Rogan would have felt all right because he was kind of a red shirt um, for a lot of it. Um, so there's, a, there's an opportunity. It would have, I think he's going to be a cool character. I think we're going to like him. He may have a chance to shine in the future. Yeah, I want to know more about him. You want to know more about Harrow. That's yeah. real. Well, that's true. Harrow is <laughs> my, my hero. <laughs> I need a hero. Uh, <laughs> Are you holding out for a let me let me lay a favorite on you guys here. So um, I was a huge fan of uh, Grungni being in there. Um, as a god, he was the most interesting so far from the the uh, Sigmar's pantheon. Agreed. Um, the the other gods, and it's, it's a, by the nature of where we've seen them, which was in the Realm Gate Wars. They're mostly like, oh, I'm super angry. I'm gonna kick some fools. You know, there wasn't. They didn't feel very nuanced. He he did. Um, to be fair, like some of his characteristics were felt a little bit lifted out of, uh, I, mean, I mean, not lifted, in, influenced, I guess, um, by like Greek mythology. You know, he's a he's a crippled uh, forge god. How is he crippled? Did I miss that? Like, what, what's crippled about him? I broke his legs. Uh, somebody broke his legs, and I cannot remember who. Who we'll have sure. to go? Um, we'll that would cripple you, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he uh was paternal like he 
the the relationship he had with he had all of these old surly dwarves walking around who were willing to kind of talk back to him a little bit you know in his in his forge um and he, he could have been just this really stereotypical dwarden um you know god like uh but he 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 was much more interesting than that and he got by by being clever right like it wasn't yeah. just i'm gonna punch something in the face um he was he was out thinking um i don't know i he, he was he was great and he's the first one that really felt like uh part of a full-fledged pantheon um i guess you know you know like the the ones that you would think of like the the best best mythology that you read um he he fit that very well so i really liked him as a as a character and uh, also there's a huge piece of the age of sigmar um universe uh getting getting dropped in and filled out sketched in there so the two funniest moments was one uh where grugni and and the white dwarf were talking and uh and there was the white dwarf say something like uh you know which one of us is older or yeah. something to that effect. He's like, what does he say? Like, don't stop saying things that confuse me or, or like, <laughs> you know, like to, to the, like putting a, a point on the fact that like, it's possible, right. That the white dwarf came is from the old world. Right. And, and he makes, even makes a point of it. So that was pretty funny. And the other one was where, uh, Hazian says to, uh, Yarduk, uh, is there really 99 of them? And, and he goes, I don't know. I've not counted like, what if there's more uh, <laughs> you don't have to pay for those extra swords <laughs> you know so like don't don't account too hard on it uh but uh um there's a couple of i, I thought there's some good humor in there and that's you know again made some of these characters uh, more dimensional and so yeah yeah i like that there was a little uh mechanical spider that was crawling around in grundy's forge mm. and then uh when yardok took one of the the forest grots and he transformed him into a luminescent spider that led them out of Gorch. Like, so basically like a spider GPS. I was like, that was just kind of cool. So as well. Um, I just wanted to ag agree with you, uh, David, that I, I think Rogni is, I think at this point, the, the most interesting guy that we've read. Um, no, no slight to Sigmar Polarial. Um, but I, I would really, what stood out to me was the whole, um, when, when confronted with, with corn, how he was uh, willing to not fight and sort of back down. That yeah. was really what made him stand out to really. me. Sigma would have fought, Gash would have fought, yeah. not me. Yeah. Well, and we find out at the very end uh, when he goes and visits um, Volander. Volander, that that Volander was one of his apprentices at a time. And because he's not Sigmar, he let that go. And there may be some repercussions of him not being, you know, being willing to fight. And, you know, he really kind of threw down the gauntlet at that point uh, in this meeting to saying, you know what, it's, I'm not going to let you guys have him. Like, uh, and so he, he definitely gets his ires up and, uh, but he, he's, he's very complex. Yeah. He's very playful and he's very like a human uh, yeah. and, and down to earth. Like, and he, you see that in his ability. Short, Cause he's short. Well, uh, he can be any size he wants. Right. <laughs> Those times but, where but he comes down to size. A couple moments of, of, you know, being a wrathful God, like he, yep. you know, he gets to display quite a bit of depth, uh, which we haven't Absolutely. gotten from, from the other uh, gods so far. So yeah, huge thumbs up. Um, um, Josh Reynolds. Yeah. Big strength that he's had is, 
uh, writing villains that have interesting motivations and backgrounds. And then, you know, find, finding a way to write some of these difficult to write characters, be they, you know, uh, worshippers of corn or a dwarven forge god and, and finding a way to write them that's interesting and not one-dimensional. Finding, finding some depth and some really difficult to write characters, I would say. There's a there was a couple of interesting things that also struck me in his writing and what he posed here. There's a theme uh, that really called out to me. And if you guys have any that you want to talk about, um, uh, but this idea of balance. Um, there's a couple of points where this theme comes up. One uh, where Neferata is, she has uh, like ice and blood as a drink she puts together, and you know this idea she was like just just the right amount right uh, of this or that to make it good, and that she talks a little bit about. Um, uh, you know, just kind of this balance of action. Um, there's a th- there's a um, metaphor in um, in the weights of the the forest lodge where they have their gold on a scale, and when it gets too too light, they go to oh, war. Yeah. Right? They need to go and get more. Uh, and when heavy. it's too heavy, they send out the sons to form new lodges. Yeah. Um, and then there's also a point where Volker, I think to me too, like showed his, his wisdom for being such a young, young person. Cause he's talking with somebody and it kind of just sparks in his head. He's like, cause the question is, well, why did they, why did these gods leave and why are they not more active? Why are they sending people to go and do, uh, fix their mistakes? Yeah. Um, and he, he realizes he's like, well, there's, there's a balance. There's an equal and opposite, you know, it, when some, when there's a, action there's a reaction. reaction and so if grogni were to come out and trudge through the lands going and grabbing the spear you know corn would need to be coming out or somebody else would need to be coming out in the like and and mm-hmm. that battle that kind of approach to this would destroy many more lives um and you see that at the end as well when grogni goes down into that the the corn forge you know corn is instantly alerted and he, he gets up to have a fight you know, in, in you know that sort of thing. So there's this this idea of balance and the role that that these people played. And I think that was the very first time I've had that anybody's explained it like that or come at it like that. In that, you know, and and it it's true for every single myth, uh, mythical story that we've ever read from any other author of why aren't the gods just doing it themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it, that really taking that out of this book really excites me for putting all of these pieces in place. And saying no, yeah, Grugni needs to be playing the role he's playing. So I thought those this idea of balance was really was a really cool theme to come out of this, and and, and I like it a lot. Sure, that that final scene, I think it was final or towards the end, whatever. That what you're talking about when when Grugni is goes down and confronts Volunder and then the, the corner. Like so much came out of that, like just couple page scene in terms of like depth and like realization and and like thematic. Um, I mean, almost as much as the, this is an exaggeration, but almost as much as the rest of the book combined, really. But like that, maybe just because I most recently read it as well. But that that scene is what stuck out to me yeah. the most. Um, well, I think it's because he flips that switch. He's playing such a kind and like jovial and the give and take kind of god. Sure. Uh, and then in that last scene, he's all steel. Like he's he's shows his you know, um, and it's just a dichotomy. And you're like, oh wow, he's you've thought he was had depth there, you know, all, all of a sudden you see another side of him. So sure. I mean, the definition of like, uh, like a big picture reach or uh, this, the ramifications are very far reaching from that, that particular scene. Yeah. I agree with you. 
Well, gentlemen, are there any other things that we want to? Uh, is, uh, do you have any critiques of the book? Are there any things that you would you'd want to see? You know, not that Josh is going to watch this, but uh, but anything that you would you would say about the the book that you'd like to to see, or that you felt could have been. I know, David, you critiqued death. No characters dying. No repercussions. Less about death, more about uh, stakes um, or risk. You know, feeling that there's a true um, risk or threat to the characters. So, be it corruption or death or you know something like that. I don't know if I'm gonna be open if you want to do yours. Oh, I just had. There was a few times where in the writing, at least four times or five times, where in the writing I felt like uh, Josh wrote something and then contradicted it a little bit. Kind of, yeah. Go ahead. Um, there was a, there was, I, I don't remember the earlier ones that were seemed maybe a little bit bigger, um, but there was a point where like you know Volker had a conversation with Grigny about why this was happening, and then later I think Volker had an inner dialogue about like, well, why is he doing this? And I felt like that had been answered earlier. Um, there was a few things um, where, and this might have been part of it, and I don't know. Um, there's a part where he says the trees. So Yuduk and uh, Hazian are talking, and it. Yuduk says, "I have a bargain," uh, and he says, "I make no offers." And then Hazian says, "Well, why did you? Why did you? What prompts this offer?" Um, you know, and so the just again, it seemed more of like a word usage that were contradicting each other. Uh, Hazian says, "A brave man doesn't need wisdom," and Yuduk says, "Well, you're very wise," and so that could have been him, you know, poking at him, but it didn't. I didn't catch that. Um, uh, there was one where you know the the warp wheel was trapped, and, and again, this could have been uh, Quell being an idiot. But he's like, "Well, the warp wheel's trapped. I, I can't possibly move it." Well, but the spear—if the spear could go someplace, well, but I need to get the wheel moving in order to do it. And so, like, there's just this thing. It was like it seemed like it set it up like the wheel was unable to move, but then the answer for it was to move the wheel. Just, just move the wheel, and then you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So there was a couple of those things that. Um, that seemed contradictory more in grammar than in, in story or in like just maybe in the editing process got mixed up. I gotcha. Um, mine is actually building off that a little bit. They sort of focused on, or, or my gripes focus on a Hazian. Um, cause I, I, I really liked him and I, I wanted to like him, but I sometimes had a hard time understanding what his motivations were. Um, and even towards the end is when I started like really, really noticing. So you're talking about like contradictions and things like that. So he, he's like, all right, well, I'm no longer, I'm no longer going to work for anybody. I'm, I'm my own man. Hey, corn, I'm going to give me stuff. Cause I want to work for you. Like when the, just in, in a breath, a second ago, you just said, you're going to you know, do it yourself uh, and that you're going to sort of then immediately appeal to him. And then not a couple sentences later, he, he's going to link back up with Udak. If I get that impression, like somehow, or like he, he, he recognizes that. You know, the, the ravens there. The ravens are still. Yeah, yeah. So whether it's really intentional, I don't know. But like, so again, maybe I'm just misreading it. But it, it seemed like he had this realization and immediately abandoned the realization that he's, he's his own um, person. Um, so there's that, and uh, I, I guess just even throughout the book, why he joined up with Udak in the first place, and I, I just didn't know where he was coming from. Sometimes, sometimes I thought he was just sort of a murderous, you know. Uh, berserker sort of dude, but then he gave some thoughts to things that I think he didn't think he that character would think about. I'm putting this into words well, but there was a point um, where they're negotiating about the coming together, and and I was liked that Asazian was like, you know what, I I realize that you actually need me. 
Sure, yeah, true. But he doesn't actually leverage that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, they're like, okay, well, so we're just gonna, we're going to get together then. All right. Um, yeah. So I can see that one. I can see that one. Still like him though. He's still my dude. I did. I agree. Any any grapes or or critiques from from you guys from uh, Paul? Well, uh, for me, it was we had this whole setup for Gorch, right? So we're going into this Fire Slayer Lodge. We're going into this. Spider Fang battle, we're going into this Skaven battle, and then there was no real battle. Right? At the end, it was just everything had already happened. We're going to fight this last Ragnarok, and that's going to be it. Right? Like, I, I was really anticipating this, like, awesome, sweet battle, especially when Aaron, you were talking about this tension of, like, on the minds of Moria and everything's going to be happening. And then in the end, it is basically just like, okay, we're just going to, you know, we're going to have this kind of skirmishes and then everything has already happened and now we're going to figure out where we're going from here. So. So you want to see a battle. I, I wanted a little bit more like resolution or a little bit more uh, I don't know. You want to see more the, something. The Spider Fang win is what you wanted. Yeah, you want uh, to see the they, they kind of always lose, but I, just, I, I think I just wanted to be like even if it was just a they're at the top of the thing and the, and the Arachnorok's coming onto them. And but then they see the Skaven and the Spider Fang fighting underneath with like, you know, as the last Fire Slayer fell or something like that, right? Like we had all this force all these forces there, we had all these battles going on and we saw almost none of it. So if it if it had been happening in parallel. Yeah. Gotcha. Maybe something like that. So All right. Well, um All right, Paul, I guess. <laughs> well, so I, I mean, we've covered uh, a lot of the story. We've covered a lot of themes, uh, predictions, uh, the setting, uh, our critiques. Any last words? Anything else you guys want to shout out before we uh, close up the show? Nope. Very enjoyable. Even if you have not read it, if this is your first encounter with the books, is listening through this whole podcast, I think it's still worth. There's so many cool scenes, um, mm -hmm. interactions, and all that sort of thing. You should go check it out for sure. And uh, yeah. Um, let's hope for a follow-up. Yeah. My final thought is, are we just led to believe that Oaken was the only surviving dwarf? And if he wasn't, did they just leave the other dwarfs down there? <laughs> that's uh, the fate of the gods. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm book I recommend it. Y'all should read it. Agreed. There's so many just uh, scenes and, and things that get played out that you want. Every time you read the campaign books and you want to dig deeper, this one digs deeper. Um, so go read it. We've given you the plot line, but it's it's worth going back and reading some of these these things. I'm going to go back and read some of these again, and and get these senses uh, uh, <clears throat> back into it. So uh, definitely recommended. All right, gentlemen, it's time for our reforging. Like and subscribe of the channel, uh, and leave a comment below. Uh, leave a review for us on our iTunes, and I'll have each of you uh, list off your. Uh, the best place to reach you on Twitter. Uh, you can get me at at red underscore Zeke. Uh, you can find me at at a bowler, which is a b o h l e r. Yeah. You can find me at a at pj shard. And I am at stone monk gamer. All right. Thanks everybody, and we'll see you soon. Good night.